Hey guys, you're listening to Girls Gone Canon. This is a special sample Patreon episode about Game of Thrones Season 1, Episode 1. We released this last month, but we thought it might be nice to revisit once more the beginning of the series and the beginning of this last season. Yes, we should start back. It's featuring one of our really good friends, Manu. You might know him as Manuclear Bomb on Twitter or from A Scene of Ice and Fire. Yes, Manu is an expert on the show, on a lot of the production, and is just an all-around great fun guy, and we were so lucky to have him join us for this episode. And we wanted to share this with all of you. Yeah, this is a sample of what you can expect if you are one of our Patreon members. Patrons get some special perks, right? They get show notes, they get to see some of the silly stuff we say backstage behind the screen, and they get episodes like this where you can hear about some really cool stuff. We talk a lot about the pilot episode, things that were cut from that, things that made it from that, different things that kind of affect what the show has shaped and become today. So if you're interested, check us out on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And we hope that you enjoy this little trip back to a national holiday that Chloe and Manu very much celebrated. episode number nine of Girls Gone Canon. It is Winter is Coming, a Game of Thrones rewind, where we step back and take a look at episode one of season one. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit or on the Maester Monthly podcast, maybe as Arithmetric over on Twitter. And I am Chloe another one of your hosts. You know me from the internet. I am Lizen Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and I have a blog at LizenArborGold.com. And you also will know our guest that we have on today because yes, we of course had to bring a fabulous guest on. And this one is perfect. It is Manu. You might know him from A Scene of Ice and Fire. You can catch it online. Uh, hello, Manu. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, Chloe. Hello, Eliana. Hi, I'm Manu. I uh, also go by Manuclear Bomb on Twitter. Um, I highly recommend you don't follow me. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think Chloe kind of gave you my resume. But what I've been doing the last couple of years is podcasting about the show specifically scene by scene, which might have, you know, different kind of mileage with the audience of your podcast since, you know, it's more book focused. But I felt like this was a perfect topic to come on. Oh, you guys haven't even mentioned the topic. Am I like going way ahead of? Oh, no, no. we kind I of did. I did at the yeah. title. Oh, did you? Okay. Well, okay. Then yeah, I'm we're talking about, about baseball. You're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this yeah. is literally about <laughs> Babe Ruth. Oh, that's yeah. one of them, right? He does the ball. We are going to talk about baseball and... Base Ruth. Baseball Ruth. Well, baseball yep. is Base- like... Dream of spring training and all that. Oh, wow. (laughs) Amazing. Um, But yeah, so yeah, I've been talking about the show. I've been, I've read the book several times over and I'm kind of the guy who hangs around all the like Reddit and Tumblr, you know, Song of Ice and Fire people, but doesn't do either of those things. But I support everyone. So um, I'm happy to be here with you guys today. I'm excited you're here with us. What a good person to have on to analyze the first episode of season one and just where we are, where we've come right now. We just have watched season eight, episode one, the beginning of the end. So 
lots of takes that uh, kind of mirror that first episode are going to happen in this one. Definitely. But since this is a little bit of a reflection, let's talk about season one of Game of Thrones. We have come so far, all right? It has been eight, nine years now. You could have a whole, like, child that is nine years old, right? Yeah, the, the, the show, they grew up. They grew up in this. You could have a Bran Stark by now. You, you too could have an emotionally <laughs> despondent child. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they don't even have to go through everything Bran did, you know? They just gotta hit puberty. Do you think, like, Bran stands next to Bloodraven and they both totally vape together? They do, but Bloodraven totally, like, has way more fun with it. You know, like Lamar fun with it. Oh, he oh. does. I like Bran gets super. He's one of those people who gets quiet and introspective. Where like as Blood Raven talks. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, Blood Raven. Maybe he's like in my head. I'm building him up now as a cult leader. Who's like, come on, man, you gotta hit this. It'll be so good for you. And then like they go off and do some murder or some shit. I don't know. I don't know. Some blood sacrifice. Get in, loser. We're doing blood sacrifice. Yeah, he's definitely the one who's messy for drama. So. Oh my god. <laughs> And they're doing way harder stuff than that, you know, like with all this weirwood paste. Yeah, absolutely. It is crazy to think that, you know, season one had 17 weeks of post-production once it was done filming. Mm -hmm. And season eight had 42. Damn. That's huge. That's what, like, I can't do math. Two times as much, two and a half times as much. That's yeah. And it's like you can really tell just looking at it. It's very much kind of shot in a more stage or British drama kind of way in the early seasons. It's not shot like, you know, Lord of the Rings or, you know, cinema Mm -hmm. quality that it is in the later seasons. Um, Yeah, it's like a serial. It it was literally a serial. I kind of like the British drama way of shooting it. I do too. I love like Doctor Who or Broadchurch or Torchwood, that kind of like serial drama episode by episode hour hour long you know i kind of uh, i do like that so i think this feels like home it it feels appropriate for what it's supposed to be because i know there are a couple like high set pieces that are supposed to be in season one basically whispering wood and the green fork battle but everything else is so pretty much intimate uh you know kind of character interactions or just like a three to five characters interacting at most at any one time um outside of the tournament or whatever but um, yeah, it just like feels more appropriate when Ned and Catelyn are talking in bed or, you know, the kids are doing archery. The way it's shot and staged just feels, you know, the British drama feel feels so much more appropriate and feels a little more intimate than we get now. And some of that's just the better writing and characterization and stuff. But all it just has a different aesthetic, like I think through the first couple, maybe three seasons or so. It was a lot more raw. It reminds me of shows, even sitcoms like Parks and Rec and mm. The Office, where, you know, that first season is totally pilot season. You know, yeah, you get it after the first episode. They let you make a whole entire season, but uh, keeping it and trying to keep in that budget. I mean, the budget alone, season one cost about 50 to $60 million compared to season eight cost more than $90 million to make. That's That's crazy. That's some big money. It's interesting because ninety million is not more than twice the amount, right? Of fifty to sixty. So I yeah. am curious, like what? I mean, I honestly don't know how much any individual thing of like special effects costs. If you all know all of that, I don't. But I think there's a certain like 
economies of scope or scale in play here that when they've been doing it so long, so much of that infrastructure, the set work is already mm. built in. So mm-hmm. um, they're not point. like spe- uh, spending dollar for dollar for everything you see on screen because a lot of it can be leveraged from stuff they've spent in past seasons. Yeah. True. And I mean, it's different because season one, obviously, we had the 10 episodes at about an hour's length. And season eight, for example, we have six episodes, some Mm -hmm. of them at more cinematic lengths, you know, Uh, interesting to see. And there's obvious, like Manu was saying, there's an obvious difference in quality. Yeah. And I guess you're also paying for, at that point, like the really big name actors like Sean Bean and their, their salaries, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like where you get into all that nitty gritty of. Jerome Flynn being in season eight and them having this little, you know, plot for him to do. Obviously, they have to. That's part of his contract. He has a a contract with them. They have to give him scenes. So uh, once you get the top actors in there, I mean, you really see where that money starts funneling in. Yeah. But um, along with using it to make the special effects, building sets, etc. Some of that might have gone to creating this at the very beginning, these main title credits. Yes, the main title credits that started it all off. Yeah, initially, I think the original pilot had something along the lines where they were going to have like a maester writing or like a bird flying. Yeah, it was a maester that would write a message. He tied it to a raven and then it flew through all the different kingdoms. And then um, I think they were thinking about this kind of map overlooking thing as kind of a transition that was supposed to be in between actual scenes of the episode. So as they went from Winterfell to King's Landing, but then they decided to kind of work all that map stuff into the actual opening credits. And I think it's a good way to kind of orient you like into this world right away um, and kind of give you a sense of distance and geography, which, you know, the show takes way more seriously (laughs) in the first season than it does in the eighth season. I mean, yeah. yes. And there's also, I, I like that they went this direction of making it feel like a game board. It just feels kind of right to me in terms of how, you know, George R. R. Martin was really into those tabletop role-playing games. I, I say was because he has talked about it in the past. I'm sure he still is into those, but he's not talking about any current ongoing campaigns, so... Yeah. There's a lot still remaining in this of that original pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like the cipher I used is you can usually tell by Ned's hair. Um, There are a couple other characters. I think uh, Tyrion's also, like, you can tell by how blonde his hair is. But with Ned, if his hair is, like, really wet and slicked back, that's definitely from the original pilot. And when he has less moist hair, I, oh. I don't know my hair terminology, <laughs> wow. so I don't know the best way to. His hair's greasy. It looks greasy. And I noticed it. I, I'm going to call it out later when we get to a couple of these scenes because I was rewatching it right before we did this just to kind of rejuvenate myself. Not like we haven't all seen this episode 8 million times. Uh, but I watched it and I could see when his hair was gross and greasy and slicked back. And I was like, aha, that's a pilot scene. I didn't know that was the key for knowing what came from the pilot or not. I was just like, huh. Ned's got a lot of different, got a lot of different looks. looks. Good for him. Styling Poppy. Just I mean, everyone's styling later on, so. He just really appreciates doing hair masks. You know, the king's coming. I got to, you know, do some kind of overnight treatment and look all well, great. Well, he should have washed it because he went off to hunt and his hair was looking a mess. That's how you're going to go hang out with your king, Neddard? I mean, I guess so. I guess. Like, the, uh, he knows that, that Robert don't care. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> Robert's out there with his buttons popping off, greasy, greasy as fuck. You know, that, that pilot was kind of a disaster because they just had too much. And not only did they have, like, it, it was pretty much straight from the book for most of it. Uh, they wrote a lot of the scenes straight from, and they had a lot of cool flashbacks and stuff. But the biggest messy part was, like, they added a lot of stuff, too, and it was very bulky. They used really formal language. It all kind of just lagged on from what the different little leaks about the scripts have been. Yes. Yeah, I think they just like tried to do too much and tried to give you all that history up front because I think the most notable omission from the original pilot is the Mad King era stuff. Like, I think we've all seen this couple screen captures of uh, Rickard or uh, whoever, Brandon being tortured in front of the Iron Throne. And I think they was just trying to layer in too much. And when we get into actually talking about this episode, we'll see that what they kind of replace that stuff with is Here's a scene with Tyrion before he interacts with everyone. Here's a scene with Jamie and Cersei in King's Landing. And kind of more establishing scenes about the characters actually in the story instead of, you know, worrying about all the, you know, history and stuff that's kind of alluded to or discussed but never actually seen in A Game of Thrones. You know, it's really too bad they didn't have a character that could reuse or show us some of those flashbacks later on. One that didn't have a lot of material in the show, you know, if they could have just given that to a character that didn't have a lot of material, it would be so interesting. Yeah, I don't know if there was someone during season five who just like kind of wasn't Mm-mm. there and they kind of filled with a bunch of garbage on screen in his I just stead. don't. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well. I honestly don't know what the joke is right now. <laughs> oh, we're talking about Bran. Oh. I was saying. It's too bad. Yeah. No, it it's is just too, too bad. bad. <laughs> it is really too bad, actually, though. But... <laughs> I, I think that it is important and what the choices that they made to more of establish those characters is better because you can always get back oh, to yeah. some of that history stuff later. I mean, that's obviously what George does. He has a little more leeway in the books, right, to go in and out of those flashbacks, but he works on setting up all the characters and those relationships in those first few chapters before going into everything. Like, I think it's fun that I think what they do here with the wall scene is good, and we'll get to that in a second, but you get that like for King Robert in the books. And I think that that would have been really confusing maybe in the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there were a couple of really good actors that uh, kind of dropped off from the pilot. You know, we had uh, Jennifer Eel was originally playing Catelyn Stark. She, uh, she got pregnant and had a kid and life just wasn't working out for her for doing this. You know, obviously once you have a kid, there's so much travel involved in Game of Thrones she originally played uh, Elizabeth in that miniseries of Pride and Prejudice back in the Aww. 90s, and she also did Jessica in Zero Dark Thirty in 2012, a couple different roles you might recognize her from. Uh, but yeah, so she still loves the show. She said she was going to watch it till the end, no matter what, but uh, she just couldn't go on. She was pretty bummed about that. And then Tamsin Merchant, if you've seen her, she mm-hmm. was in Pride and Prejudice, the movie. She played Georgiana Darcy, and she also played Catherine Howard, uh, more popularly, I think, in The Tudors. You might know her from there, but she played Daenerys originally, which she did have kind of like the the look, the uh, the delicate inbred look. Well, trying to be sensitive, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right? Though, like she has this like interesting face. It's just an interesting, weird look. So I don't know if she could have handled, you know, the future like doing like some of the harder Danny stuff that we've seen Amelia really blow through and just really. I think she's done well with a lot of the big speeches, but I don't know if Tamsin would be up to that task. I'm not sure why she didn't keep on, actually. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. And, like, we already have heard some of that casting story from Amelia Clark as she talked about 
her background joining Game of Thrones and the aneurysms that she had, so. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know when this falls in the whole timeline, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hope that we get that pilot someday, even or parts of it, even. You know, like, Ooh. just something. As, like, a nice. bonus feature. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really great. But, yeah, so, the episode. Yeah. We begin on the other side of the wall with three yeah. of a literal, a literal cold open. I just had to get that. <laughs> You're right. It is. That is really fun um, about it. It's cold. It's quiet. Three rangers are leaving Castle Black to go investigate reports of the wildlings beyond the wall. We don't even know all this. We're just like, oh, look. People. <laughs> yeah. Behind There's a big I was assuming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, we know, having read the books, that those are Waymar Royce, Garrett, and Will. They are heading out into the Forbidden Forest from Harry Potter. By that, I mean the Haunted Forest. Will splits off to go follow the trail. And he comes across some dead wildlings in the snow. They're all weird and shit. And there's been a lot of discussion about the weird spiral patterns lately. And I'm just going to point over to Joe Magician 42 If you have not seen his content on that, definitely check it out. And then there's also a young wildling girl impaled on a tree. Ooh, yeah, delicious. I think, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit, is that uh, in the original pilot, they tried to have the whole Waymar dance with me a little bit, you know, mm. um, and I just, what for whatever reason, whether it's the costuming or whatever with the White Walkers, they couldn't pull it off. So they resorted to this. It's not the exact same spiral that we see like from season three onwards. It's kind of like a circle with a line through it it's similar to like two-thirds of the deathly hallows symbol yeah because they're in the <laughs> um, forbidden forest exactly you know i heard a take this week somebody said it looks like house dane's sigil and i was I like get out i did see that yeah somebody specifically tagged me as that actually and i was like you have to go <laughs> fired um and i could see it uh, i think they did in the season seven like cave scene where Jon snow drew a bunch of things and told daenerys hey come look at this <laughs> so i can see your boobs um, they did have the spirals, but I think they did fit in one of the like circles with a line through it just to kind of tie it back to this. So kind of like continuity. Yeah, they cared at one point. <laughs> or it's a you know circle, circle, dot, dot. Now you got your cootie shot. Circle, circle, uh, line, mm-hmm. line. I now you got it all the time. <laughs> Will and Garrett want to return back to Castle Black, and Waymar was like, "No, if you do, I'm gonna call you a bunch of deserters." And then he's like, where the hell are these dead people? And he's like, they're here. Next thing you know, some weird creepy black shadow comes and he attacks Waymar. And then the young girl rises from the dead and then Will tries to run. And Garrett is beheaded by some other reanimated ice course because like, why not? And then throws Garrett's head at Will's feet. Then... Yeah, it's kind of... uh, One thing that stuck out is... uh, What's it called? I don't think like i think garrett in the books just kind of jets or whatever as kind of will watches you know waymar fight then die then come back to life but this one it's kind of the white walkers throw Mm -hmm. garrett's head at will's feet and then they must let him go because there's a couple white walkers just sitting there watching will uh take it in and then we see him obviously after the credits you know south of the wall so i don't know if that just is kind of in line with what they did with the season eight premiere where the Night King or the White Walkers are sending a message because I don't know why else Will would have survived that if the White Walkers knew he was there or whatever. I think you're right that they're probably sending a message. It is a little strange, but again, this um, reminds me of Sean Yu 
from Mulan in the scene, right? Where they find those people from the Imperial Army and then they send both of them to go send a message. And then he says to the archer, how many men does it take to deliver a message? And then the archer says, one. And then you you just fade to black. Oh and I will not be stopped. This is my podcast. So I can <laughs> I can make these parallels if I want. You know, interestingly enough, there is a clip. I don't know if you guys have heard it. There's a, I'll give you a link later because you should hear it. David Peterson, who does the languages, uh, all the languages for Game of Thrones, he actually wrote kind of did an audio recording before this in the original pilot of what a White Walker would sound like. Because originally they distorted it and they added like layers onto it to make it sound really creepy and icy. And like, uh, it's like a weird screechy, icy noise in their language. Like he was supposed to make a language, but they ended up in the end just totally retconning it because it just didn't work out. It was not a, it was too much, too extra. Interesting. Yeah, Yes. Every time I hear the word or like think of saying the word scroth or whatever, I want to go scroth and just like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why there's something about that word that just makes me feel that way. It's very metal. Um, It is. Also, like the lead White Walker here is a recurring character or a recurring actor on the show um, because it's Ian White who plays uh, Sandor Clegane number two or no, Gregor Clegane number two. Sorry. There's a Fired. Where are you? Are you lost? (laughs) Who are you? What have you done with Manu? But yeah, he plays the mountain from season two, the one who kind of oversees Hall with Tywin. And then later he plays 1-1. So he's kind of, anytime they need someone larger than normal people, they go to this guy. Um, Except for the actual mountain who they got. But um, yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. Maybe that having him play the mountain in season two, we were supposed to take that as foreshadowing. Oh my god. Or I'm becoming undead. No, I'm joking. Oh, no. Am I? Who knows? <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> that is interesting. I, I I I liked that mountain. I think he was kind of scary. Did you say he was kind of hairy? <laughs> no, I said I liked that mountain. I think he was intimidating and kind of scary. You know, I uh I the liked one in season the new two? mountain. Yeah. Even though you barely see him, he was huge and he was like dark and old and gross. I liked him. I, are you thinking the one from season one who beheads the horse? Because the one in season two that I'm thinking of, that I think the one Manu was talking about, I'm not sure. It he is. He was like skinny and bean polish. And then I we only know he's it. the mountain because Arya in the background whispers, oh, the mountain. I feel like his picture really is blurry on the wiki. I need to go look. He didn't feel mountainy to me. I don't, I don't feel, oh God, real talk. I don't feel like... Bjorn or whatever his name is is very mountainy to me. Yeah, he's just kind of a big guy. I mean, he he's in, he is incredibly large. Yeah, but his face doesn't feel mountainy. I to feel me. like yeah, mm-hmm. season one mountain that Eliana was referring to. He just like looked Maybe like him. he was always like his head was hurting and he was pissed off at all yeah. times. Yeah, that guy was um, good. He just yeah yeah. I mean yeah. Maybe it's him. I don't know. But either way. I don't, I don't know, real talk. This mountain is, like, it works, and I get they finally had to focus it and be like, okay, the mountain's going to have a pretty big role standing next to Lena Heaty the rest of his life, so uh, <laughs> what can we do with him? I know what you're saying about Half-Thor. I get, that's, that's the name that I guess I know him by, Half-Thor or whatever. Oh. And, yeah, he does have a really kind face. Like, he is big and scary and mountainy, but also he seems like he would give me a really good hug. He's my age, dude. That makes me weird because I'm not old. old I'm again. older than the mountain? I think so. Yeah. I think you are. 
Because I think they did a thing where, like, they put, like, the mountain and then uh, wh- whoever plays Jojen Reed, Tom Singer. Same age, yep. Yeah, same oh, yeah. Like, the same Phineas. age. Brody Singer, no, 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 yeah. he was Ferb. He's Ferb. Oh, yeah, Ferb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, Jojen, actually, I feel like he's older than the mountain, if I recall. Right. You look it up again. But that's crazy, isn't it? That is crazy. Yeah. Size doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, my favorite thing in the world is, uh, sidebar, my favorite thing in the world is the picture of Manu and Emmett. It is my favorite picture of ever time of you guys at Kind of Thrones together. It is very cute, Manu. Aww. I I assume you have it framed somewhere up at home or whatever, or it's above? No, I just think about it. I used to have it saved. I saved it actually when you guys posted it. I was like, oh my god, I'm saving this. It's just so cute. (laughs) It's just so cute. I was like, look at my boys. Or two good boys who like to take pictures and smile together. I know, and drink beers. Drink beers at the concert together. I met Emmett at a Manimals concert, so. Oh. When you guys were hanging, I was like. You get it. Yep. Wow. Found each other in the crowd. So, back to the White Walkers. Yeah. Yeah, the White Walkers. Um, I like the way that, I guess they're technically not White Walkers yet in the scene, right? They're whites, and I like the way that. Who fucking knows? <laughs> I'm just saying. Where's who knows anymore? I mean, it's all made up. No, it's you're right. It's fiction. I don't know. They obviously don't distinguish if they're White Walkers or Whites here because nobody knows. Because they're like, oh shit, stuff's going right. down, and they do a really great job of establishing like this is mysterious and giving that like horror movie vibe. And I think a lot of that comes from, like, at the beginning, it's so quiet, so that does a good job of contrasting with, like, the shit serious when sounds start happening and, like, the suspense and stuff. And I think they do a good job of also, like, heightening that by making those big, bright blue eyes super bright because a lot of the scene is shot, like, with mostly just that black and white and super desaturated. And I think that's really difficult to do because a lot of times you'll see winter scenes that are usually shot using more blue colors because it's a cool color as opposed to warm. So the fact that they are able to like do that and, and make the blue stand out and feel so creepy and fantastical is really great. I, I think it's really great. The atmospheric language that we get here and just like the entire scene, I love it. But I do want to argue, I think that it had too much room to breathe. I, I think mm. it could have been trimmed just a little and kept the threat kind of big because in, in Waymar's role in the scene and like giving names to these Nightwatch people, not saying we shouldn't give them names, but it, it didn't add much. There was nothing to the story. It's just like all of a sudden you met them and then like within a minute they were dead. And it almost makes me wonder why they didn't just leave it at Will leaves his party and when he comes back, they're already dead. And then he sees the White Walker or the other or whatever and he runs. I, I get why they did it bit by bit so he saw it happen, but I just think they could have kept that thrill and just sped it up a little bit. I was surprised when I watched it today because I was like, this is good, but it doesn't have me on the edge of my seat, you know? I assume now that you've brought it up, it has to do with they had to fill that entire like hour slot yeah. because remember that scene that people love from the first season of Lena Headey and Mark Addy talking. Um, yes, but then yes, I mean, that was made up. Yeah, that was made up because they were like, we need to put in more time and in this episode. There's a lot of made up stuff in this episode. Like, absolutely, there is. that's fine. That's fine. Like Manu was saying, it's really good for introductory, showing the characters what their motives are, what you yeah know, makes them tick. That's great stuff. You have to have that to really even have a whole season of a show, obviously. But that just made me go, huh? Interesting. It could have been tightened up, in my opinion. I and think- I still would pay fifteen dollars a month to be able to watch it when I want to. I think they're stretching it out <laughs> to fit 
to fit the space of the time. And I think uh, maybe they're trying to go for you kind of establishing some archetypes in the show or whatever. What Like way more Royce is kind of a proud young lordling type. Garrett as a grizzled old veteran who's often like a supporting character type in a lot of, you know, main character storylines mm-hmm. and kind of setting up what people are like in the world. But I kind of agree that they probably could have give, done a little more with Waymar Royce, especially considering I think there's more going on possibly with him in the books and his encounter with the white walkers you know going back to like joe magician's theory about like the white walkers might have been feeling out waymar royce to see if he was a stark or something like that um but yeah i mean it kind of works i guess it kind of immerses you in it because the wall is such a central place and this is the only time we see it in the pilot um just because everything kind of converges on winterfell and pentos for the pilot essentially Mm-hmm. And I think they wanted to really kind of show it. Um, and I think the opening shot of going through the tunnel and like the first establishing shot of the wall look really good. Um, oh, yeah. Sometimes I think the wall does not look great, especially on close up, like when they're on the top of the wall or things like that. It obviously looks like big styrofoam blocks or whatever it is. But I think like the big establishing shop- shots early on are pretty good at the wall. And I, I guess too, to give it that, they had to establish a little longer to show what John's about to get into. So I'll give it that. I'll give it that. You were talking about how it also was given time to establish like the different roles and class dynamics, and I think they do a good job of on rewatch. You can see it in the clothes, and it's very much like what George did in the books of describing how what they were wearing is so different. But I do want to point out <laughs> Michelle Clapton Fashion does hour. a lot of amazing talks about the costumes in Game of Thrones, and I think this one comes from her interview. I want to say it's at the Guggenheim. I could be wrong. She talks about how they were like. They tried a bunch of different materials to get this worn, like, fuzzy stuff, like, texture right yes. for the northern costumes in general. And what they found finally worked was taking some Ikea rugs and just beating them up and stuff. And so now, like, when I watch the first episode and, like, season one in general, I'm like, hmm, look at all these Ikea rugs everywhere. So. Yeah, I love that. Even in the beginning, the costuming was really purposeful you know michelle oh, yeah always i mean especially even to the point of there are scenes with cersei even the one we're gonna mm-hmm. see in a bit where she's wearing like a soft pink dress as to come off more sympathetic we get that in the scene where robert hits her this season we get that in a couple scenes where she wears a soft outfit and appears more sympathetic her pink dress with ned for example uh where in the book she still wears some sort of similar maid outfit you know she wears her hood to kind of come mm-hmm. off just a pin and etc wearing a light dress underneath but then you get that switch from her to that emerald outfit right when she Mm -hmm. tears up ned's shield and that is like the most queen bitch shit so michelle clapton was on her a-game from the very first scene of this show yeah she's never stopped bringing her a-game like when she's on the show there was um what was it season five or six when she wasn't able to be on which is a shame but like Mm -hmm. she just puts so much thought and cultural building and we'll talk a little bit about that again uh as we talk about the north also michelle clapton come on our podcast love you <laughs> michelle clapton be part of our lives Lacroix, sponsor us <laughs> <laughs> um my boyfriend earlier was asking why doesn't icy hot sponsor you or anyone uh, in a song of ice and fire i know I like right or anyone touch Oh my god. Or anyone. I mean anyone could at this point. Why yeah. are you guys sponsored? Why, why is uh their why is Icy Hot's motto not if ice can burn the love, yeah, and, love, hate and, can mate. Mate. Oh, wait, love you, and mate and your thighs can 
Yeah, I've heard that's a really bad idea from other yeah. people, and I have no intentions of trying it anyway. So, speaking Extra of coldness and burning, the North. Yeah, Sansa and Arya have their sewing lessons, but Arya hates that shit. Absolutely the worst. I yeah. love this scene. It's just cute. And then she hears the boys playing their, at their archery um, up above, or I don't know. She kind of looks up. I don't know exactly where she's looking. I d- One of the things we'll talk about is Winterfell doesn't really have a geography yet that they establish in later seasons, where like the different sets are connected in a way that makes sense. But here she's like, it feels like Septa Mordain and Sansa and Arya are like sewing in the basement, like girls get the fuck out of the way, go in the basement and sew. It feels very weird, just kind of the stage where it's set instead of like a nice, you know, the Great Hall or something. Um, interesting about Winterfell and how you say they didn't have established set. They didn't. It was a gift shop and like a car park. Oh my god. Did that's you know amazing. that? That's what no. Winterfell was. It was a gift shop and car park and then they didn't own it immediately. They were renting it, so they ended up owning it, I think, eventually, obviously, because <laughs> Winterfell became a thing. So they ended up moving it and owning it elsewhere. But yeah, really interesting that the Winterfell they filmed at was a car park that and you'll see later in the crypts, the crypts were a wine cellar and it was also oh. used for other cellars. It was used for uh, the black cells. So that's where Ned is in season one. He is in the wine cellar at Winterfell. <laughs> you know, in Winterfell, in universe, if they really wanted to, they could also store their wine down there. Yeah, put it with the ghosts. Yeah, why not? Maybe it makes it taste better. Yeah. yeah. And like this entire scene, I think, will is like similar to the Lannister scenes later where they really wanted to establish that family dynamic first before they throw you into the whole beheading and yes. uh, direwolf scene. Just so you kind of understand because... If the first thing you saw was your protagonist beheading someone, that's definitely a different tone than where you have this kind of mm. establishing the sons and daughters and the familial relationships. Um, and like this actually ends up being kind of iconic to the show in a sense. Like the way Ned and Catelyn are looking down is something that Sansa would recreate many times. You know, everything from Tyrion in this episode, this past uh, premiere, uh, you know, a lot with Littlefinger, which is kind of the worst thing ever, but. Uh, you know, it's just like this became iconic. Even Bran would have visions in season three about this exact scene and trying to shoot a bow and arrow with his brothers. I do think the world building of having like them standing on the battlements in that area or under right there under the hood of that area. I love that. I think that's a great thing that they've invented on the show. And I also think, isn't that interesting that there's another duo consisting of a redhead and a long faced, sad, brown haired boy that stand there pretty often. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Parallels. Yeah, parallels. I agree. Just some Egret, Egret, and Theon Greyjoy. Oh my God. I love Egret and Theon. Eon. That's my favorite ship. Eon. Egon. Yeah. Egron. Egron. Bayjoy. Ooh, Bayjoy. Yeah, you like that? You like that, that slip of good. the slip of the tongue? I do like it. Egret also likes the slip of the tongue. Stop. No, that's Lord's Kiss to you. Ooh. Thanks. Oh, man, we're really getting into the zone for John chapters. Will has fled <laughs> south of the wall from the others, and he's found by Stark Outriders. God, this seems so, like, terrifying and great with all those people coming over the hill. And yes. that means that Ned has to take a break from this family recreation time with um, Egret and Theon Greyjoy. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, talking, yeah... We have, again, that fantastic familial scene and setting up all of the different relationships. And, of course, there's Kat showing dismay at Ned taking the kids because, I mean, like, 
you know, nowadays we cover kids' eyes when shit like this happens, but no, Ned's like, no, they're gonna go see their beheading, and then Kat gives a cold glance to Jon Snow, the bastard of Winterfell, Ned's son. Establishing characters. Yeah. She doesn't like him. Because <laughs> um, I, th- I don't think it's for another 40 minutes that they explicitly tell you, hey, John is not Catelyn's son. Um, but they kind of do a lot of the character work right there by just having Michelle fairly like glower at him. Just like with Arya and Sansa, with that, like you said, her looking wistfully out the window, they convey a lot without saying it. Yeah. Yes, they really do. And you see John being like a really nice older brother to Bran. He's the one coaching him and... I don't know, you see Ned being like a great dad, he's like scolding him, and he's like, who amongst you was an archer at, I don't know, whatever age he said. Nine? Yeah, and everyone's Nine. like, yeah, you right. I like no how even knows. Rickon's laughing too, and I'm like, Rickon, you've, have you even held a bow and arrow yet? I mean, like, I'm sure he has, but like. How many words does Rickon even know? Because he didn't know any in season six, so. He did yeah. get killed by a bow and arrow, though, so, you know, wow. maybe if he had laughed less, I mean. That's true, it's his fault. I'm glad, wow. I'm glad we can all admit that. I'm, I'm standing against this. Not on my <laughs> podcast. You leave my son alone. Oh, it's not his fault. This is bullshit. <laughs> At least that actor got to keep his job, you know? He didn't get replaced. Yeah, yeah he got like two more paychecks after season three or whatever. Dude, he's Kubo. Did you know that? He uh, oh. played Kubo's oh, voice. What? Yeah, in the Kubo him. and the two strings, three strings, several strings, Kubo and the strings. Yes. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The strings uh, in Kubo. I was just thinking about like Marcella, because like that actress was really excited. I heard to she's really her nice role. too. I have friends she that met her and so just said funny. she was just so nice. Amy Richardson, so nice. She seemed so Come funny. On our podcast. Not that the second Marcella was bad. It's just like the first Marcella was super jazz and very funny. Yeah, and she was fine. Yeah. Yeah. She could she could have easily done the walking through the water gardens for thirty seconds with you know, a dude on her arm, because that's all the new Marcella did. Aww. And then die from a nosebleed, which, you know, that happens. In her dad's arms, I guess. Yeah. She could have done it. I think she would have been really good at dying. <laughs> no, I mean, I really do. You know, most of the actresses on the show have to be good at dying, because all they do is kill them. So. Wow. Anyway, so we go to the beheading, and Will, as we all know, is an oathbreaker, and he's deserted from the Night's Watch, which costs your life. And then Ned is out here; he's carrying out his duty, and like John tells Bran, "Don't look away. Father's gonna know if you do." And then they hear Will's last words, which are a warning of the oncoming White Walkers, and he asks that word be sent to his mother of his death. How are we gonna find her? Like, first of all. Yeah, right. We don't even... Is she even alive? Who are you? Yeah, we can't fucking Google this bitch. If it was Waymer, it would have been one thing. That's what should have happened. It should have been Waymer, in my Mm. opinion. I think that could have made it more interesting, right? It could have been interesting, because then he has to, like, what? Hit up Bronze on Royce? He has to kill Waymer and then hit up Bronze. Yeah, I think that would have been very interesting. And, yeah, just I think the whole between two lords dynamic... Even though maybe that's what they wanted to avoid, but because it is oh. Ned kind of executing a lower class person for like not wanting to fight ice demons. I mean, I know we have the benefit of all the perspective of reading a made up story, but right. Um, but still, no, it is kind of like it, it, it. There's a lot of Ned characterization in this. I was surprised about when I rewatched it. Like even how he treats the pu- the puppies, you know, 
just kind of cold. And it's interesting. It's kind of like a weird look at Ned because we know his internal POV and we know the kind of patriarch he actually is in this family. Yeah, he loves his family. It might have just been the first episode thing, you know? I do love the characterization we get where he explains to Bran, uh, the man who passes a sentence must swing the sword. Uh, Bran questions those last words of Wills about the White Walkers and about the others coming, but Eddard says they're mumblings of a madman. Uh, I love, in the pilot, Bran doesn't say ours is the old way, apparently. They had originally given it to Ned and it came off cold, and it was just a really good switch, apparently, to Bran from what I was reading, and I, I like that. I think that's cool that they at least changed that adaptive bit. Yeah, I think it does a good job of showing that Ned has been parenting his children. That's why Bran knows why it happens. And I, I do to echo what you said, like that line that Eddard says of a madman sees what he sees to Bran, because I think that's very indicative of what George is doing in the story of like trying to show that people have their perspectives and their rationale for why they're doing things. And I wonder if it's something that like Ned has had a lot of years to ponder upon when you think about Ares the second. And I also like the whole, uh, as soon as, you know, Ned says that, Bran's like, oh, so he was lying. And that kind of is a consistent runner with Bran initially when, like, Osha mm-hmm. tells him things and Maester Lewin's like, oh, the children of the forest are dead. He's like, oh, so she was lying um, until Bran really has his third eye open. He kind of has a very childlike view of that. You know, people are either telling the truth or they're lying and there's no middle ground or whatever. Yeah. And it is childlike and it's something that people learn as they get older and it's something that the story is trying to teach you that there is that middle ground. I also really want to point out, this is very, very, very important to me. I really, really want to point out, we get this a lot less in later seasons, but I really just love this little knot below the chin of Roger Cassell. <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> it's There's like someone else who has like two little twin braids coming from his beard too. And, and I love... I love these, and I think we should bring them back in fashion. I know that fashion styles change over the years in Westeros, but let's bring them back. I love that they kept that similar look when they showed the flashback in season six in the episode Home, mm. uh, when they showed Roderick even back then still being master at arms, just younger with the boys. I loved that at Winterfell. That was a great scene, since we're just drawing some of these connections. Is that just like his trademark? Did he decide one day, like... They decided I'm that's Roger Cassell's look. I like it. They gave him a look. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about Roger Cassell though, deciding that was his look. You know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna braid my sideburns together and leave it like this until I, I die. I think you should do enough. that. I think you should grow it out to be long enough to do that. Yeah, come back when they're long enough, Manu. Okay, I will. <laughs> we'll invite Manu back on the podcast when his <laughs> braids are long enough and tied to one another. When he's won some battles. Um, I don't know. This just was funny to me, but I like how John was saying, don't look away, Bran. Mm-hmm. And now every time you see Bran in season seven <laughs> or season eight, he's just staring down oh whoever looks at him. Like there's Tyrion and Jamie and John all in this past episode where as soon as they look at Bran, he's just giving them the look of death. So Bran never looks away anymore. Um, which I just kind of laughed at. You know when he should have looked away? At the end of the episode. No way, man. Good for him. I would be petty. I would be out there waiting in the cold for the person who fucking crippled me. Oh, I didn't mean that. I meant at the end of episode one of season one. Yeah, God save his soul. That wouldn't have helped. Let's be real. I mean, if he had just looked away and been like, "Mm, I don't know what's going on here. But like, he literally didn't know what's going on here. As you see in like his chapter, he's like, I don't know. They're wrestling. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I read a couple books when I was like nine to figure it out, but better now. No, that shit was confusing. Sex Ed started like at fifth grade, so when I was ten. So yeah, I'm like, far I'm, too late. I don't know what this is. <laughs> One thing to note is that we see ice here for the first time. You know, the ancestral Stark Valyrian sword, um, which was melted down in the season four premiere, uh, Two Swords. And then they came to be in the hands of Brienne and Jamie, respectively. And now both of them are in Winterfell. So ice has returned to Winterfell. And I have mm. a good feeling that you're going to see those two swords fighting side by side at some point mm. against the White Walkers. Mm. That would be really great. Man, that episode. I can't wait to see everyone that dies in episode three. That's going to be freaking nuts. Everyone's going to die. I want everyone to know that um, in the scene where Ned's holding his sword, I one time photoshopped a hero like the sandwich into his hands when the Age of Heroes um, show was announced. Oh That's my contribution to the fandom. <laughs> I also uh, photoshopped up. They weren't really photoshopped. It was like the shittiest paint job, but it actually looks okay. Heroes into the, you know, the, the scene of the knights, the Night King where he's doing like the come at me, bro. I put heroes in his hands too. Oh my god. <sighs> okay. So, <laughs> so they go back to Winterfell and on their way back, they find a dead direwolf in the snow. And a stag antler is impaled in her throat. A dead stag is just a little bit of ways. Uh, her five pups are scrambling around, suckling at her dead body for warmth. And Eddard says they should kill the wolves out of mercy. But Jon Snow convinces Eddard that it's an omen. One for each of his trueborn children. But wait, there's one more. The runt of the litter who is quiet, white, and has red eyes. Ghost. Yes. I like how they kind of gave the line to Theon, though. It makes him a little more sympathetic, because he's not like, let's kill the smallest puppy. He's like, that one's and yours, John. originally job. they kept it in, and he was like, the oh. asshole. Like, they did it more aggressively, even. I mean, he... he At least, it, I think they do a good job of making him seem like an asshole in this episode, but not too much of an asshole. You know? Yeah, uh, one thing when we were uh, covering uh, season one on Scene of Ice and Fire and we did some of the Rob and Theon scenes that were kind of made up for season one, um, they get Theon really right in that they make him shitty, but shitty in the way that he's still Ned Stark's son. Um, mm. There's this uh, scene where Rob's about to call the banners and he's like, you know, Rob, are you afraid? And, you know, Rob shows his hand shaking. He's like, I must be. And Theon's like, good, then you're not stupid. And that's basically Ned Stark's like, you know, a man can only be brave when he is scared or whatever oh. quote, but like in the shittiest possible interpretation of that quote or whatever. <laughs> that's so um, Theon. Yeah, that's, that's exactly so what Theon, Theon is. <laughs> it's Theon that we see. Um, yeah, just... Otherwise, I was just going to say, it's just like a bunch of young boys holding puppies. It's just a very cute scene, other than like the dead adult animals or whatever. But That's like, true. you know, Richard Madden holding two puppies in his hand and the way that John picks up Ghost and kind of holds him by the back of his neck and just like, oh, two puppies staring at each other. It's really cute. Yeah, that's true. I do want to work on this show just for this one single scene so that I, too, can play with all five of the puppies and just be loved by them. You'd just be like, Sophie, you'd just adopt one. Probably, or all five. Be like, screw all of you. <laughs> They're all yeah. my dogs now, or six. Selfish. Six. I yeah, am. selfish. <laughs> Throughout all of these scenes, though, I do think it's interesting, like, as I said before, that um John's the one who's, like, coaching Bran through everything, like, in the yard, over here. Um, and it's not Rob, 
Robin has like very few lines up until I think this moment because in the books we see through all the POVs of all of the star kids including I'm gonna include John and Theon in this that they oh. all like really look up to Rob they like define themselves by him he's like the greatest big brother ever he does some big brotherly things later but and I think it makes sense because obviously we lose Rob a lot earlier like in season three so it's good that they're doing this character and relationship set up right now for John. And then, of course, you see John being that big brother to Bran coming back in season eight, episode one. And Bran's like, you know, being He's weird. almost there. <laughs> He's like, this is all right. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, some of that is also, I think, because these children are probably two to three years older than they are in the books. Um, so you kind of have, you know, Rob Stark as a little closer to that Lord in waiting, even though, you know, Ned's still alive and healthy, but, you know, a theoretically an 18 year old Rob might have a little firmer grasp on and be more the Lord than, you know, the 14 year old Rob that we initially meet in the books or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I love the line that they brought into it. The you'll train them yourselves, you'll feed them yourselves. And when they die, you'll bury them yourself. But that's obviously not how it goes. Even within a couple episodes, we see that, right? Because Ned has to bury mm. Lady, uh, send her bones north to be buried even. He didn't even bury her. We've lost them all in horrible ways. Shaggy dies at the hands of the Boltons and Umbers. You have Grey Wind, obviously, the saddest, worst, horriblest death in the whole universe. Oh, God, it made me so sick to my stomach. That little whimper, I'd rather kill myself. I, I can't I can't yeah. deal with that. That's like, I hate animals dying. I, I don't... People dying, like, I, I'll watch the news and that's one thing. Like, oh, that's so sad about this thing that happened where everybody died. But animals? Oh, boy, summer dying? Oh, oh, yeah, it's awful. I can't deal with that. Can't. I mean, reindeer are better than people, according to <laughs> Frozen. I, I'm, you're fired. I don't, I'm sorry I, I have to tell you this, I, but no severance. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my god. <gasps> Speaking of reindeer, did you know the stag was real? It wasn't a prop? I did not. It was dead for two days and they had to keep filming that scene and I guess it smelled awful. Oh my gosh. That's actually hilarious. Yeah. But awful. Not. So that means no one on that uh, part of the cast is as good as Charles Dance who only needed that one stag shot or whatever that he had yeah. in his introduction. Also real. Fucked up. So fucked up. Uh, they... Apparently kill a lot of deer, I guess, on this show. The furs in season one, I was oh, going to mention this. Uh, I don't know if that Ikea rug actually started in season one, Eliana, because season one, they used real fur. That was like a really big controversial thing. So I just don't know if that was that. I don't know if it's there. I don't know if it's there or if it's like, so you see it in their skirt like yeah. things. Some of them, I look at them. And I'm like, that. I think that's a yeah. rug. Like, in what should, like, look like padding or whatever. So, some of them, I think, are rugs. Like, I think uh, Will's. His looks different, Will's, like, though, than the current ones. So I'm interested. It might be a different rug. Like, maybe not Ikea. I don't think they went Ikea in episode <laughs> one is all. Yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know if it's there or if it's, like, the other yeah. things. Um, I did also want to f say that, like, the, the whole Ned saying you're going to feed dogs yourselves and stuff. That's, I think, part of why that line works. Um other than the irony and the really sad part about what you were saying about the animals dying. Um, that's terrible. But is it's, it's just such a dad thing to say, right? It's such a parental thing to say. It feels real because yeah, of that. Absolutely. Real family bond. It's a normal thing. It, it's just like a normal thing that they say. They're like, all right, we're going to get you this dog and you're going to take yep. responsibility. You're going to walk <laughs> it. Feed it. 
Yep. Yep. The bells are ringing. The king's hand has died. He has died of a sour stomach. The silent sisters are preparing John Aaron, his body, uh, the lord of the Vale of the Eerie. And Queen Cersei Lannister is discussing the death with her twin brother. It's trying to be very apparent that this is her twin brother because the pilot did not always uh, help that. Sir Jamie Lannister, the king's guard, her twin brother. Just in case you forget, because it's going to be important at the end, you guys. Wait, who is he? He's her twin brother, Manu. Oh, okay. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, this was another one of those invented scenes. And uh, we get to see a couple things here. We get to see John Aaron, like his actual body. Uh, and uh, they mm-hmm. have like the eyes on those stone eyes for whatever reason, um, as opposed to stoned eyes. Happy 420, everyone. Ah. But uh, we also see the Iron Throne for the first time. And I was just thinking, the mm-hmm. first two times we see the Iron Throne in the show are this and uh, when Ned walks into King's Landing and kind of walks past it, past Jamie. And I think that was something that the show invented. Yeah, so, like, in the books, it's not till Ned's on the throne when Robert's gone. Yeah, so it's kind of weird that they said, not weird, but it just, I didn't realize that we don't see the Iron Throne until really late in the first book or at least halfway through, whereas here they're able to at least work it into the yeah. opening scene or opening and- set of scenes. And you're also thinking about, like, then you have all the weird side scenes with Varys and Littlefinger in the throne room. And, yeah, there's a lot of that, isn't there? Interesting. Hashtag for the throne. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Originally, did you know that Roy Dotrice was Pycelle in this and he couldn't continue because of the show? Because originally this scene was Roy Dotrice as Pycelle talking to Cersei. Uh, They changed it to Jaime. I didn't. I think it's better oh, that yeah. they did it as God, Jamie. Yeah. There's a lot that like they did in the pilot. Thank God that they fixed. I liked all the all the pomp and stuff with the with the seven people from the Faith of the Seven and the Silent Sisters yes. walking around in there. I've never seen them wear like that strange head like. Thing. Granted, maybe I just don't remember like the behind the head thing. The first time I watched the show, I was confused because I had understood like i had read some of the wikis i think for the show and i started understanding characters and things and houses because i wanted to like grasp an understanding of what house was who and what it meant and what they stood for Mm -hmm. and who they were fighting i just wanted to understand and i was confused because i was like what is their sigil why do they have that thing above their head why are they carrying their sigil and then like i understood finally you know and i was like oh i get it silent sisters i get now after after i started reading the books i was like oh i get the whole show i understand now and uh also, the way that Cersei and Jamie are talking about John Aaron, in retrospect, you can kind of pick up that they didn't kill John Aaron. Um, yeah. And that was, was when I had seen the first season. Mm-hmm. I had only read the first book. So, you know, obviously the John Aaron reveals at the end of book three. So, you know, you're kind of led to believe that Cersei, at least, is very much in on the John Aaron death, you know, through most of Ned's investigation. Um, but I've for a made-up scene, I'm surprised that they didn't screw it up and, like, you know, they actually did a pretty good job of talking around John Aaron without giving away the game. Yeah, um, but I, it I wish sense. it was a scene about Beatles, but... <laughs> also, cool. originally... Cool. <laughs> Caught him with the rock! What the <laughs> fuck was that? Oh my god. Originally, I guess, Cersei... Uh, there's a, The letter Liza sends to Catelyn later. Cersei... She, like, claims it's Cersei that did it in the letter, too. Uh, they changed that, obviously, but I thought that was interesting. An interesting little change. They kind of had a lot of different things they changed just to kind of make it smooth flowing. And I think it shows and I think it's good. I used to be like, I bet the pilot was interesting. 
But now I'm like, I bet it's a train wreck and I can't wait to someday get my hands on it. Yeah, I would like to see. Like, I think it would make me really pleased with the changes that they did for this. Um, That is interesting that you say that they changed the letter from Cersei Poison John Aaron to the Lannisters Lannisters because it's similar similar to what they do, right? With the Roose Bolt. The Lannisters sent the record. Instead of him saying, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's fine. That was perfect. Manu's like in our brainwaves now. We're all like one hive. Yeah. It's good. This is what happens. It's like uh, we are all Groot? your brand. Oh. And- <laughs> so, same I'm- thing, Groot. Oh. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, the Godswood and Winterfell <laughs> oh are God. where we are going next on this journey, scene by scene. This is like a real long form scene of Ice and Fire, so we're real lucky we have Manu to help <laughs> us. Uh, yeah. Ned is tending to ice. This is a very iconic scene. He's in the Godswood. Uh, his Valyrian steel sword, as Manu was commenting, the big ceremonial sword of House Stark. And Catelyn brings him a message. His foster father, the Lord of the Eyrie, Oldie Pants McOld, John Aaron, has died. And the king, no. Robert Baratheon, is marching north. Eddard knows why. Robert means to make Ned hand of the king. He's the next defense against the dark arts teacher. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is the, what the position is kind of like, right? Something bad yeah. happens to everyone who's Every single person that takes it. No one stays for longer than a year. Mm-hmm. The king shits and the hand wipes it. <laughs> yeah, Defense Against the Dark Arts wipes it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Speaking of like the British drama way of filming everything, that's kind of what they did, right? But this uh, shot following Kat as she's like going through all of Winterfell and then makes her way to the Godswood. I love it. And they like... I know, I love, like, that shot of, please tell me, like, about that if you have information of that Winterfell scene. And the music is very medieval fantasy-esque, as opposed to, like, this really great cinematic, like, movie soundtrack-esque music that we have in these later seasons. They're, like, really leaning into some of these, like, more, like, medieval-esque, like, lutes and stuff kind of music. Yeah, Yeah, humble. they have like this the same like light motifs that like they established for like the Starks and Lannisters early on, but it just it's very pared down to basically just the stringed instrument or whatever it is, and not the full orchestra pulling it off. Um, and you kind of see it progress, but it really works nicely. Just a long, sad like kind of wail on whatever it is the looter, the violin, whatever is going for the Stark theme. As Cat walks through the courtyard and into the Godswood, mm-hmm. and it's very slow and ponderous. The way that Ned's very deliberately but very slowly like wiping down ice um it just really kind of sets a rhythm that's kind of similar to cat's uh approach to him um and it kind of just sets a very slow but like meaningful tone before he finds out the bad news of essentially you know one of his father figures having died yeah i love it i do love it i think it's just such an iconic scene the beautiful gods would the big old heart tree. It's a uh, very Game of Thrones. It's when you watch that intro and you see the godswood. Yes. That's what you think it's of. It's growing. And it's so green. It, it's such a great way to show that, hey, it's summer now. And I think it's something that really comes through more on a rewatch because the last few times that we've seen the godswood, it's been so snowy and pale. And look at how verdant it is in the scene. Yeah, the way I always read it in the book and in the show, you know, it screams the end of summer. Right. It, it feels very like summer's ending. Shit's about to go down. It's going to start transitioning into a new season. But I was surprised that there's no snow at all just because like there are still summer drifts in Winterfell. They really wanted to convey the warmth or they just didn't really care about it. I just love snow and I missed it. So, they only had 50 million, Chloe. All right. They couldn't throw some goddamn paper confetti, Eliana. Use your brain. 
maybe it, maybe it's the hot springs or make it too hot. <laughs> it just melts all the ground, even a mile away from Winterfell. And then they end up using the tree uh, in the later seasons when they're kind of making stuff up. Every time there's an important Stark family thing to do, mm-hmm. if it's not in the crypts, it tends to be here or whatever. We saw John and Arya's reunion in the mm-hmm. season eight opener. Yeah. Um, it was basically in front of the heart tree, and uh, John and Sansa have had a couple important talks in front of it. So um, it becomes an important place. It's supposed to kind of give off that this is a place where the Starks can talk and be safe or whatever. Hey, the gods are listening, though. And Bloodraven. And Brienne. Always. So, flash forward, the arrival of the king has drawn close. The Starks are used to their furry dogs. They've all named them. We all know that. There's Greywind, Maria, Shaggy Dog, Summer, Lady. Am I missing one? No. It's about Ghost. It, right? Ghost. Oh, yeah. I forgot about John. Forgot. Sorry, <laughs> John. Everyone I mean, the show, the show forgot about <laughs> Ghost, too. So, yeah, right? it ain't just you. <laughs> it's not my fault. They've erased ghost he ghosted uh they ghosted oh. him oh my god i hope ghosted he's just like mm, i'm out it's just like how I george named them shaggy dog he's gonna do the same to ghost it's it's intentional ghost is it. gonna just peace out and be like i'm done <laughs> oh my god i'm going home so the stark boys and theon are getting groomed in preparation for the guests they all are gossiping about cersei lannister and about the princes i love that line Rob is like, oh, like, fuck that prince. He gets to put his princely dick into whatever he wants. And then, like, his sister and him get betrothed. That's, like, the ultimate big brother bullshit, you know? (laughs) I guess. I don't have one, but I'm guessing. Uh, (laughs) So, as the royal party marches inward, Bran is scolded by Catelyn for climbing on a rooftop of the castle. Aww. Little Bran. Yeah. He gets scolded, and then Catelyn tells him, you know... I can tell when you're lying, since we were talking about lying earlier. I do actually really like that the show shows that the men do as much grooming to get prepared for the royal party as, like, I don't know, the women do. Yeah. They're giving John hell about getting his <laughs> haircut. Yeah. Which is funny, because John is the source of that throughout all the books in the show. He's the pretty boy. Uh, backstage, I guess, or during it, you know, offstage, they were all taking turns, like, sucking in their abs and fucking off and, like, just messing around with each other to prepare for the scene. And I guess D&D were, like, dying of laughter during the whole thing. It was a very funny scene to shoot, they said in interviews. And the barber in this scene is played by the guy who is the weapons master for Game of Thrones, who makes all the weapons. Yeah, Tommy Down, I think his name is. Yeah, Tommy Down, yeah. So, it's nice they give him something to do, um... Especially when it's shaving Theon, Rob Stark, and Jon Snow. Um, that's a good job. Are you jealous? A little bit. You sound jealous. <laughs> I mean, sh- like. shouldn't I be? Yeah, I guess. You're like, I want to be there having fun. Uh, like, yeah, like you were saying, I think they were like doing like push ups and sit ups just to make their yeah. abs look as tight as possible for uh, uh, the shot or whatever. Oh my God. Such men. <laughs> So I know funny. with like the the MCU movies or whatever, like when they're gonna have the topless Thor scene for the movie, they like have them fast for eight hours and like it's like it's yeah, like scheduled into it. Like this is the day you're doing your like topless or I guess shirtless uh, scene or whatever. So plan for yeah. it. Um, so he wasn't shirtless, but I did see Shia LaBeouf doing like in preparation for action scenes. They were filming, I don't know, some Transformers movie in front of the Lincoln Memorial, and he would like do the running and then push ups randomly in between takes. And I was like, "Good for you." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would never. 
uh, ever. And uh, some of the stuff with Bran climbing is a parallel to just random boy from the season eight premiere, um, where he's like climbing the tree in the building or a uh, tree, whatever, um, just to see the ki- uh, queen's arrival. Uh, so they're kind of using that, uh, you know, visual again. Yes. And then next we have Catelyn delegating preparations to the staff in Winterfell. She's saying that we're going to need more candles for Tyrion. I hear he likes to read often. And then they're like, no, he likes to drink. And she's like, all right, hopefully all these casks are enough. (laughs) I love that this is straight up Sansa-esque with what we're seeing in season seven and eight with her being lady of the house and sweeping around Winterfell and ordering people to do shit. Yeah, the maester just kind of tailing around behind her. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really nice. Oh my god, I miss both Lewin and Catelyn. Yeah. Lewin ends up being like really, really great on the show. I like his death scene oh is god, so yeah. good, and the way he talks with Theon and Bran all through season two, it's like wait, he dies. This is only season one, episode one. What the fuck, Manu? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. He was I good know in he this dies. episode I blocked too, it though. Out. Yes, he's really good in this one. He was. Uh, I really love even all of his scenes in this are good. He was a really strong character. I think they couldn't have picked any better for a lot of these Winterfell people. But now for some of the other stories. So Arya is late to meet her family and greeting the uh, ruler of the great damnation Westeros. <laughs> Goddamn America. And Sansa, her older sister, shushes her. She's annoyed. So cute little sibling dynamic there. You start to see Arya and Sansa will always have a little bickers. Uh, the king rides in with his knights while a wheelhouse follows with Cersei aboard. Eddard and Robert greet each other and they make their way to the crypts to give respect to the king's once betrothed, Lyanna Stark, Ned's sister. Cersei is unhappy. Yeah, so I think this scene specifically has the most direct parallels to what we saw in the season eight premiere, like the very first scene of Danny and John arriving at Winterfell. First thing I wanted to call out was the score here, because this is a very distinct piece of music from season one, uh, The King's Arrival. Um, and it's kind of has that marching sense to it as the whole procession comes in. And with the season eight premiere Winterfell, um, they reprise this leitmotif, uh, but they work in, uh, Daenerys's like Dracarys Unsullied theme into it and use some of those kind of mm-hmm. low, uh, woodwind instruments like the oboe to kind of recreate some of the same beats from the, uh, King's Arrival, Robert Baratheon theme. Um, it's something that the um, part of this King's Arrival stuff they later work into Tommen's theme, like that first of his name theme, a little bit. But it's like a very distinct set of music that we don't hear as often compared to the Stark or Lannister or you know Lord of Light music. Um, but I think that was a really cool like musically to tie that all together. Yeah, I love that combo. Also, I'm over here. I'm just like. Dah, dah, bah, bah. Just like rocking out. What a soundtrack. Like, you can't deny, without ramen, this whole show is lost. Oh, I thought we were talking about ramen for a second. And I was like, what? <laughs> ramen. What? I mean, I do love ramen. Ramen noodles are definitely an MVP of Game of Thrones. But also, Ramin Jawadi, sure. I think. You could make a great case yeah. that him and Michelle Clapton are, like, as MVP worthy as whoever else you want to say is an MVP of Game of Thrones, yeah. Lena Headey or... I mean, they make everything these actors do, you know, they surround it, they make without the costumes and without the air of like what the characters look like. And without that music, I mean, everything the characters do loses at least 20% to me, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, like so much of the music from the show is now iconic. Yes. Yes. It, it's just really elevated it. I like that 
same as in season eight, we have, of course, Arya missing. She's watching from somewhere else before she comes in. And, like, it's just such a... When Catelyn asks Sansa, where's your sister? Like, the mm. shrug that Sophie Turner gives, it's so teenager. It's such a teenager so shrug. Like, I oh, don't know. Sansa was killing it as a teenager in this. Like, I major know. teenage vibes. You know, you're talking about them bickering. And I just love that Arya asks more than once. She's just so excited. She's like, where's the imp? Sansa's like, shut up. That is not appropriate. <laughs> you know, she's like, where's the imp? But it's funny because through them, I don't know when they recorded this, and their bickering is how we get actually some of the exposition of like, that's who that is. That's who that is. As they come down the train. Also, this is doubling back a little, but I do love, we talk about Chris Watch's GOT, when they take the helmet from Arya and the one that she did for this. And Arya like, just seems so sad. She's like, I looked fly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think of when they take the helmet from her, just her thinking, I looked fly. I love Chris, Chris Watch's guy. Come on her podcast. And it's, but- <laughs> it's so sweet how when they take the helmet off Arya, the way uh, Rob Stark and even Maester Lewin are just smiling at her. Smile. I think that just is, tells you so much about how that family is, that they know Arya is, you know, different than Sansa, but that they like love her all the same or whatever. Um, yeah, not that it's a competition, just to be clear. No, but it's cute because it's her little bond with her brothers. You know, they it's the little their other little brother. You know, it's this little tomboy yes. that roughs around, and she always wants to hang out with them. And yeah. and of course, John is the only one that ever gave her the time of day, which we learned. So mm-hmm. they also did a good job of establishing how charming I think King Robert is uh, when he's not yes. not being charming because he. He comes in, he greets Ned, and then he the, the I love I love the way he greets Cat. It's just such a like brotherly hug. And then he pats Rickon on the head. Like he doesn't even know who this kid is. <laughs> He's just like, Oh, hello, child. <laughs> and then he says hello and like greets each of the Stark children. He says hello and then greets each of the Stark children individually. I thought it was significant for a second when he asks Arya what her name is, but it isn't really. But um, you'd think that he might have thought if we had Robert's interiority or his POV or something in the books, being like, wow, she looks just like Liana. Absolutely. I thought that too. So hard, obviously. Uh, Obviously, I'm always thinking about Liana Stark, but I thought that too. And it's interesting because, you know, everything we know with exposition from the books even shows Robert is a different person nine years after the rebellion than he was mm-hmm. when he was, you know, fighting and fucking and killing in that war. He was a different man then. He was, you know, just built and tall and sexy and, you know, he just liked to drink and fuck. And it- it's really sad to see what he's become, you know, nine years after that he's just this, like, fat blob. And he still has that kingly attitude. You know, he would, it said, Robert would lift his enemies to their feet and shake their hand and say, swear loyalty to me and it's fine. You know, we'll, we'll forget all about it, man. And I don't know, you just see a lot of those echoes in Mark Addy's performance of this king that could have been great and let it all go to dust. Yeah, and you you see that they establish a lot of his and Ned's relationship without even using dialogue, just the way that uh, Mark Addy flips his fingers up to tell Ned to rise, and then when he makes the whole you got fat comment and Ned just kind of gives him a a nod (laughs) back or whatever, and just a little smirk and... It really works that, it, you know, they kind of do the formality right away, but they, there's kind of an unspoken thing between the two of them. You know, the old war buddies. Yeah, I love it. They they actually, like, withheld that for a few seconds, too, or a few minutes. Mm-hmm. They build up that suspense. You're like, ooh, it's the king. And then they dispel that tension. 
We also have, of course, the Lannisters come in, and of them, we get to another scene where Cersei's ordering her twin brother, we've established already, uh, Jamie Lannister, um, whom we've never met before in our lives, so go find their brother, the Imp, Tyrion Lannister. Now, bring Arya, she's trying to meet this guy, alright? Turns out, though, he's in a brothel in Wintertown. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, And again, like Chloe was mentioning with the first King's Landing scene, they very specifically have Arya say, that's Jamie Lannister, the king's or the queen's brother. Yes. Um, Like they want they hit you like three times with it. So, you know, exactly what's happening at the end of the episode. But yeah, and also the way that Jamie comes in and removes his helmet, all golden and beautiful, long haired. I thought that was Dennis Leary the first time I watched this episode. <laughs> oh my like, god! Like I had no idea. I didn't know who Nikolai Costa-Waldo was. That's so funny because I oh thought gosh. it was the guy from Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. They brought him to real life. The joke has to be made. I'm sorry. <laughs> they had one random CGI character amidst all these live actors. Look, deep fakes are real. Yeah. And that was a shot they. Kinda, I guess, tried to recreate in the season eight opener as well. The way Jamie removes his hood when he comes in uh, at the end of the episode, it's kind of like Jamie comes in as this golden cloaked or golden armored white cloaked Kingsguard with the fancy helmet in the opening of the series, and then the way he kind of unceremoniously arrives in season eight, um, you know, hooded and kind of scruffy looking, yes. and not the golden lion of Lannister that he's supposed to be, you know, humbled little humbled finally it's interesting seeing him north i'm excited for this episode man uh once this this comes out the episode will have been out already so i'm sure we'll have so many new opinions to dm each other on twitter about but i uh, interestingly enough about the scene that's coming up and i kind of left this here we can just tie it in what happens with Tyrion in wintertown because i want to talk about how in the pilot it's in King's Landing. Jamie and Tyrion are in King's Landing. It happens near the beginning of the episode, or the front of the episode, so it's still closer to the top, that he basically shows up and he's like, hey, we're going north. You're coming with me. Don't make me go deal with these people alone, which is still the effect here of doing it in Winterfell, because, of course, Jamie comes in, interrupts, uh, brings three more sex workers, interrupts Tyrion's time with Roz, and says, do not... Leave me alone with these goddamn people at this feast tonight. Like, please do not. And that's a really cool, just the dynamic they establish right there. It's a big mood. Yeah, for real. Don't, don't, do not leave me alone with these strangers. Same. Um, and this is like, because I mean, I think early on you kind of get like with Cersei and Jamie that, you know, they might be the antagonists or they might be schemers behind the scenes. And this is actually a scene with Jamie where he's, not being adversarial to, you know, Ned Stark, or he's not, uh, you know, scheming with Cersei. This is just him with his brother. And again, with Tyrion, the way he's talking to Roz, he's like, you know, the queen has two brothers, and, you know, there's the clever one, and this, like, they're really making sure they clearly define who everyone is, um, you know, before they really get the dr- drama going. So you know who Tyrion is, who Jamie is, and how they relate to the queen. Yes. Yeah, you were talking about the different hair on characters. Um, I don't know if this is a wig or not on Dinklage when they filmed the scene, but like, first of all, it makes me remember. Yes, the Lannisters did used to be really, <laughs> really blonde, but also like, I, I think it's a good touch that his hair's a little mess here. But also, I just want to point out, Peter Dinklage has '90s boy band hair in this in this scene. Quit playing games with his hair. 
No, they did bleach his hair. His hair was bleached, and it's kind of god-awful. Like, I get they wanted to make the Lannisters blood, but god-awful. Yeah. Just a horrible... Yeah. Also, this rewatch, I never noticed. Tyrion yells, close yeah, the door. I noticed Jamie. that this time, too. I was like, ah, close the door and come here. Oh. Whoa, oh. more incest. How's he going to do that from the other side of the door? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true, incest. <laughs> I mean, there's four There's four sex workers in there. So. Yeah. Talk about Lannister incest. Wow. Not- I just love that at this point we don't know that Jamie has only ever slept with one person in his whole life. <laughs> his sister. Um, oh my god. And I think this very crudely was supposed to like the way Braun was having three sex workers in the season eight yes. premiere and then Clyburn kind of bursts in. Um, definitely a different con- I mean the conversation ends up being about the two Lannister boys so um, I don't think it's anything that's clever or well formulated or anything. Um, Because that scene was whatever in the season eight premiere. But um, I think that was if they were trying to hit all the beats from the season one pilot, um, that was supposed to be that scene, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the best parallel to that. I mean, I think that they like you say that they think it might be parallel. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I mean, they thought that's not you. Yeah, it was a callback. So, yep. I feel like that's wrongfully hated. I'm going to be really brave and controversial and wow. put this opinion out and say, I don't mind that moment at all. I don't mind it. I just don't think it's a callback. I, I mean, think it's I, good. I wouldn't I say it's a callback. I would say maybe it's just like a, a thematic parallel, a spoken thematic parallel. I don't know. I, mean, I like debatable. it, though. <laughs> Especially to denote Arya's return to Westeros and that she's changed as a person and so is her wolf. Uh, I, I'm just saying. I liked it. I didn't mind it. So... Fight me, I, I guess. This seems fine. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of callbacks and, and remembering things, Robert resentfully remembers Rhaegar Targaryen kidnapping Lyanna Stark as he's offering prayer to her statue. Eddard tells Robert that all the Targaryens were killed, and Robert says, hashtag not all Targaryens, <laughs> and then asks them to come south to be his hand. Ned says, I need... I need to consider, all right? I got to think about this. And Robert is like, well, you know, we were going to have our houses joined once before. We can do it again. With Arya and Gendry, my son. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I'm going to bring the Gendry out right now. So, Manu, where's your cat? All right. Yeah, Manu, please bring out your cat. We're going to change Chloe's cat's name to Arya. <laughs> we will wed the... We Allie is very houses. Arya, to be fair. My, my yeah. cat, Alisan, is the most Arya, for sure. You're only going to need to change two letters. Yeah, it's perfect. Gendry's actually asleep not far from me, but if I turn the computer, I might lose you guys. So I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, this also, like we were talking about the perch that Kat and Nat have uh, earlier in the episode, this becomes a big spot for the show where they do a lot of 
scenes that are very especially important to the Stark family relationships because you know this is all done under you know in front of the statue of Liana and this is where you know John finds out about his mother being Liana in the season eight pilot but he I guess he kind of finds out in front of his father's statue but it's kind of how the story is passed down from generation from Robert's rebellion now to whatever this war of the five kings slash the battle for the dawn you know era or generation is generation z or whatever they are the equivalent of <laughs> uh it's actually degrassi the next generation <laughs> that is what we are calling them <laughs> poor manu do you see his face aliana his face just looks <laughs> no, like oh god what did i do <laughs> he's like how did i agree to De- be on this delete podcast? delete go back five ten minutes let's start over <laughs> shit we can't <laughs> control z yeah it's too late it- the ink is dry you end up down here with, like, Bran. We get Bran, obviously, where he says, and that's my Aunt Liana. You know, father never talked about her much. And later on, season five, we get Sansa there. Sansa examines the feather that uh, Robert had left. It's still there, which it kind of, of course, is every single time someone visits the crypts and Liana's talked about, it's kind of a poke and a prod at John's parentage. They're inkling in that idea. And Baelish, of course, gives some big exposition about Liana and about Rhaegar and this scene and the scene in the courtyard, believe it or not, are the only scenes that survived the pilot in full. They only use stuff from this. So look for that small glimpse of Theon's blonde hair in the courtyard next time you watch this episode, because that's how you'll know it's from the uh, the pilot. But there is something really cool about that feather. And I, I think maybe this is just me being too meta to deal. You know, you know how I am. I just like to go way meta, way canon. But there's the idea that Stay with me for this. Liana is very Arya-like, right? We get that. And she's also very Sansa-like in her romanticization, as we've talked about on the podcast often, of, uh, you know, princes and harps and songs. So she's really built on those two characters. And from the books, we do learn that the Baratheon brothers all love to hawk. They love hunting and hawking. And Sansa likes to go hawking as well. She goes hawking with Marjorie Terrell. Uh, one or two times in the story, at least. And that feather that Robert leaves Liana could possibly be a feather representing him and Liana going hawking, maybe an activity they might have enjoyed together at all, whenever he'd visit there or when they were betrothed. You know, obviously, we get that one line in the books that Liana says to Ned, you know, love is sweet, dearest Ned, but it can't change a man's nature. And she does know Robert's nature. She has spent time with him. It's her big brother's best friend. So of course, she knows Robert. Uh, but I just thought it was a kind of an interesting idea that Robert would leave a feather, possibly from Hawking, on her statue to remember the times they had together. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great like idea of why he does that. Because otherwise, you're just like, why a feather? <laughs> you put this. Tr- you just put some trash on her statue. But also, like, <laughs> yeah, to play devil's advocate. It could also not be that deep in me going meta and finding a way to explain whatever the shit this show does sometimes. And I mean, they used it for that season eight teaser, you know, where John walks by yeah. and it falls and it symbolizes his parentage, obviously. But also, like, maybe it's just too meta. You know what I mean? Like, maybe they're no, just I like, think you're right. hanging on to it. I think it's an idea. They haven't ever said it. So who knows? I think you're I think. You're definitely on the right track. If if it's not that, if it's not even, if it's not exactly what you said, then we should just but pretend I, it is, anyways. I mean, I, th- I think yeah. it makes sense, and I think it's obviously something the show does care about because they have brought it up so many times, and it was in the season eight uh, promos, like you said, like they at least know it's a stand-in symbol for Lyanna Stark and kind of everything that yeah. went down with her and Robert and Rhaegar at the time. 
You know what would have been cooler than the feather, though? Blue rose petals. Oh, yeah, but I think he would have been pretty mad because, like, the blue rose petals are also the thing that uh, Rhaegar. Yeah, but here's the deal: is in the books, Robert's actually not mad. It's Brandon that's enraged by it. Brandon's pissed; like, he starts getting upset. And Robert was just like, "Eh, you know, that's her due. She is the most beautiful woman in the world." Which obviously he was bugged. We know that, but because I think honestly, I mean, Robert, how could you not have known? Deep down, he knew. He would never admit it to himself, but he knew. Like you know. You know, things start adding up, you know, like that math meme only over Mark Addy's face. <laughs> Shit starts adding up. Someone needs to make that for us. I'm gonna. If, I, if no one else will, I'm just gonna figure it out and do it. I'll Google it till I figure it out tonight. But <laughs> uh, in this pilot also that we talk about so heavily this episode, the pilot episode that they changed, there's a cut scene where Cersei goes down to the crypts after Robert and oh. Ned have been there. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Who let her in there? I know. And I, I understand there, why they you know? cut it. Because it's kind of weird, but at the same time, I'm like, I want to watch this. <laughs> That's true. But she goes to the script, the crypts. She steals the feather after Robert places it, and then oh. she commands her handmaiden to burn it. That's pretty funny. That's trying to like she show did. the enmity from you know. It's kind of weird because she could burn it herself. There's like a million fucking candles down there. Yeah, there's also like you could just put it in your fireplace. Like, congrats. I don't know. That's wild. I had no it. idea. Yeah, isn't about that crazy? That. Yeah. Yeah, I'm bringing. I feel like I'm just bringing a lot of like fun information and facts today. This is all I have for you. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't do that. I Me think too. that would have been too much. It's cheesy, It'd be too dramatic. Yeah. yeah. And then you know, as Robert's all like hashtag not all Targaryens, we see one of them across the narrow sea, and we get the cool little thing that says Pentos across the narrow sea at the bottom. We're over in Illyrio Malpatis' manse, and then we see Daenerys Targaryen looking wistfully out into the horizon. Viserys comes to join her and says, we're like making a new alliance. All right? We're going to get With your pussy. Army. She's like, mm, I don't want that. He's like, too bad. Because <laughs> we got Khal Drogo here. Here's a Dothraki warlord. I have brought you Khal Drogo. He's going to marry you, and he's going to give me my armies. I'm going to win back the family's lost crown from the usurper, Robert Baratheon, the guy we saw two seconds ago. And then there's a bath. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess this is... I can't remember if there was something similar to this in the books. I don't think there was. But, like, Daenerys is essentially fireproof i guess in the show or whatever they is uh whatever they're doing and they kind of start that seating here with daenerys walking into a really hot bath and a lady comes you know behind her and says hey no it's way too hot but you know she doesn't seem very perturbed i mean it's not like fireproof but they start like kind of the build to that you know birth of dragon scene um and i think if i remember from the commentaries it was a lot of the like uh, build up in the books to uh, Daenerys's birth of dragons is some of the vision she or dream she has, you know, where the eggs mm-hmm. come alive or you know a dragon is born and she's engulfed in the fire, um, and they really couldn't pull that off for many reasons. So they kind of used this initially as the way that they were kind of showing the build up to that moment. Uh, there's this scene and then the one where she puts the dragon eggs on the brazier and then like picks it up and like is unburned mm-hmm. from it and then her handmaiden's hands are all messed up. It's kind of nifty. I think it works here when it's not like, you know, super played hard like it is in the later seasons a little bit. But that was kind of like the logic behind, you know, fireproof Daenerys in the first season. Yeah. It reminds me of the time I caught a bird. 
just like a bird. I don't okay, know if it was Stannis. a pigeon or something. <laughs> and then I was like holding, I was like a child. And my dad was like, that's dirty. Don't hold that. And so he takes the bird from me. And my hands are all fine, right? They're all like fine. Then he gets rid of the bird and puts it somewhere. But his hands are full of all the strange little bird mites. <laughs> oh my God. And that's what this reminds me of, Manu. <laughs> um, I guess I'll... Great story, Eliana. That was good. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, Wow. Um, speaking of cool stories, uh, behind Daenerys, there's a giant mural of ships and stuff, and like the ships very <laughs> clearly have cannons. Um, and like you know, I'm pretty sure gunpowder is not yet an- <laughs> anachronism. Um, which I think this was all shot in like Malta, I believe, was where they shot yeah. a lot of the Daenerys uh, scenes uh, in the pilot. Everything in the first episode was like completely weird. They didn't shoot it in the normal places, right? Like. Scotland was where Winterfell was for a while, and they ended up finally settling in. Uh, really interesting. And honestly, when I saw this note, I have to share, poor Quentin and I were discussing, uh, this is sci-fi, after all, Manu. So it makes sense that there's ships with cannons. Or is it that they are foreshadowing our podcast, Chloe? They knew. With a homophone for cannons. Cannons. So. Yeah, they went cannon, you could say. <laughs> yeah. There's Danny and like the others, and they are all girls in front of the cannons. Okay. Oh my god. Well, so. you know they'd call it like Valyrian powder. The Valyrians had invented gunpowder like years ago, just like they invented highways or whatever the hell Valyrian roads are. So, um, because <laughs> I think you guys on Maester Monthly were talking about how Arya's weapon is actually a gun or a cannon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wait, is Arya getting a gun blade? <laughs> Like in Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VIII. Fantasy VIII? <laughs> they were yes. Yeah, they were talking about something yes. kind of like that, yeah. Oh, man. That- <laughs> uh, that's so good. I love in this scene, uh, they show Danny's really clever, right? She talks back. She questions Illyrio's kindness to Viserys because he's like, Illyrio's going to follow us. And Viserys is like, oh, no, no. He's following his rightful king, Danny, you idiot. And even though it's kind of retcon in the show, we know Illyrio is actively betraying Danny in the plot in the books right now. Uh, so I do love that they started with that, where she's like, uh, don't you think Mr. Illyrio's kind of too nice to us? He really is, though. And then, and you see it in these yeah. episodes. Like, he's selling them. Yeah. The, yeah, like... Uh, just the way, like, he's talking to Viserys is like, you know, I forget what Viserys says. Is like, do you think me a coward? He's like, no, I think you a king, and kings aren't known for their caution. Like, he's very much buttering up Viserys with everything he says. It's like... Yeah. Oozing with butter. <laughs> Yum. Delicious. Uh, and then I did want to point out that the guy who plays, I, w- I want to call him Javert, uh, Illyrio Mopatis is the guy who was in the original <laughs> London production of Les Miserables as Javert. Oh, wow. Um, so it's just, that's what I, I'm like, whoa, I know that dude. And he never comes back again. This is all we see. No. Uh, but I, <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> I mean, why would he? Like, we don't have that plot, I guess. Yeah. yeah. He got rid of them. Two four six zero one one. They probably would have recast him. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Okay, so then we also get a scene where Drogo arrives, and then he takes a glance at Danny, and then he leaves. He doesn't even dismount his horse. He just looks at her knowingly. And then apparently this this is good, according to Lirio. He's like, if he didn't like her, you would have known. Ouch! Like, would he have killed her? Yeah, I think <laughs> that's, that's what, what he's I saying. Think the implication is. Um, what is this? What else? Yeah, like, what's the... I want to know. Would he have killed them? Been like, this is shit. Yes. I guess he would have done whatever he oh. wanted. So what... It's fucking Cal Drogo. Whatever they want, Chloe. <laughs> 
Um, and then they initially tried to do this with Daenerys having like purple eye contacts in uh, because of the, you know, because Daenerys is a Dane and they all have purple eyes. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but, I'm gonna hyperventilate. <laughs> but um, then they ultimately ended up scrapping it. I, I think just like the official stories, it just like looked weird or goofy. And I mean, I can kind of see that. Uh, you know, I've kind of changed my stance on this through the years. Uh, I used to be like, oh, come on, you could have done it easily. But at the same time, I think it would have been too distracting. I just think, like, in my head, thinking of Amelia Clark with that purple eye look the whole time, that's just distracting. And I do like, there's like an edited video someone's done where they've done it with her eyes and made them purple. And it looked good, but it is distracting. And at the same time, even George wishes he didn't do the eyes. He's talked about it in So Spake Martins that, you know, he wishes he hadn't been so specific with eye color and having it mean something uh just because it kind of made his life a mess well because he kind of fucked up a little with um Renly. Renly. i do think i know what he was trying to channel with the whole violet eyes though because i think you can see a little bit of cleopatra informing the way that daenerys rules in later stories and if you've ever watched a like four hour long movie of elizabeth <laughs> taylor as Cleopatra. Which is who um, Ashara Dane was based off of. Oh, really? Looks-wise. I was thinking... Oh, yeah. I, I was Taylor. thinking that he was thinking of her having purple eyes. Like, she doesn't really have purple eyes, but there were times, I guess, that the light hit it. Yeah, that they came off as, like, violet. And I think that's what he was imagining Yeah, for Daenerys, because he has talked about Elizabeth Taylor and her eyes before so and, yeah and i think purple is kind of it's an i don't want to say unnatural but it's not a color that human eyes actually have and the valerians are like kind of otherworldly in a way like they're not i mean they're humans but they're also kind of not they're like as guardians kind of yeah where they have these kind of godlike qualities and like purple purple eyes makes a lot more sense here than you know really caring about like renly's eye color which went from like gray to blue or green or whatever it was um yeah and then we get to the scene that you're talking about where Illyrio tells Viserys, like, oh, no, I take you for a king. And Daenerys tells them, I don't want to marry Khal I don't want to be his queen. And Viserys is like, mm, that sucks because we don't have a home. You can't go home. This is why we're doing this. And I would let Khal and his entire Khalasar and all their horses fuck you if it got me my army. We're all so, just like, oh. Not nice. Not a nice guy. Yeah, I really love Harry Lloyd. Um, I've, oh my god, right! Oh, I forgot so good. how good he is. Um, and they keep him coming back for like the DVD extras. Like anytime there's like a Targaryen history, like they yes. get him, especially if it's supposed to be, you know, from the Targaryen point of view. Um, that kind of looks more favorably on Eris and you know Maegor and all that. Didn't he do the audiobook for was it Princess and the Queen and Rogue Prince or was it Duncan Egg? He did an audiobook for something and it was good. I can't remember. Yeah, but anyways, he is quite, quite excellent. And he's great in this. I love him as Viserys Targaryen because he's like that perfect bit of like snotty but pathetic. Like this is what like Mm -hmm. Viserys and Joffrey have over characters like Ramsay later on. It's just like even though they're like cruel and shit, they're like also like there's a weakness and patheticness to them um, that comes off in just the right moments. Um, It's not just like one super evil all-knowing dude. I would love to have seen Harry Lloyd as Aryan Targaryen in a Duncan Egg thing. 
That's who I like when I read Duncan Egg now, when I read Mystery Night, or sorry, Hedge Knight. Uh, when I read the Hedge Knight, I see him as Aryan Targaryen in my head, like he because he's just like a crazy psycho and he plays that well. I don't know, I loved mm-hmm. it. Well, based on the flashbacks, we know that all Targaryens have the same exact wig. That's the same exact length. So I mean, it pretty. Oh my god! <laughs> hey, we are on a budget menu. Okay, we can't even we afford. We only have ghosts. fifty million. Oh my god! Now we have only ninety million. So we come back after Pentos to the feast in Winterfell. Sansa is preparing for the feast with her mother. It's a scene that's not in the books. And she tells Catelyn that marrying Joffrey is all she ever wanted, establishing some obvious arc work. Yeah, I love how when she's talking about how handsome and cute Joffrey is, Catelyn kind of just rolls her eyes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's totally teenage love. She's like, you don't love him. And then she's all like, I want to get married now. And she's like, "Mm, no, it's up to your dad. Um, and it's worth noting, based on, like, the previous scene with, like, Rob and Theon and John getting shaved, like, there's at least word out there that everyone knows Joffrey's a prick or whatever. And even, I think Ned has some of that hesitation or whatever uh, when Robert proposes to him. Like, Joffrey just sucks. Duh. <laughs> it's funny because he has no lines in this episode, so you don't know that yet. Like, there, there's word of it, and he has that smarmy look. But he hasn't said anything yet to totally give it away yet. They did keep the uh, fight scene in the pilot between, like, Joffrey and Tommen and Rob and all them. Like, with Tommen and Bran uh, wrapped up in some pillowy armor to fight each other and shit with swords and Joffrey, you know, being a dick about it. They kept that in the pilot, but it did not make it to this cutting floor, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And there's a really cute picture. I'll have to send it to you if you haven't seen it of Tom and like all puffed up in his armor. Oh, yeah, I know. So cute. <laughs> that reminds me also of um. Remember when? Oh, oh, wait, that that is Tom. And sorry, I was thinking you said Rick, and then I don't know why. Oh Never no, mind. you're fine. Tom and Tom and Tom and loves being puffed up in his armor. He's I the know, cutest. puffy boy, little marshmallow king. I love him. He gets back up even when he falls off his horse. Even to go when he fight. gets knocked down. I know. Up again. He's got courage. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have our tough thumping party. Um, Big change in the show. John is disallowed from the feast by Catelyn. As he is but a bastard boy, he speaks with his uncle, Benjen, a man of the Night's Watch, and asks if he can take the black and join him at the wall. Benjen considers it and says, you know, we'll see. We'll see, John. And John then meets Tyrion Lannister, a fellow bastard in his own father's eye. I do think it's interesting that in the scene, because John isn't allowed in the feast. First of all, that's like way sadder. But second, that means that when John joins the Night's Watch, he's make he's much more sober when he makes this life changing decision. Because as we warned in our John episodes, do not make life changing decisions when you are super drunk for the first time in a teenager. Um, not the teenager part is not addressed, but the don't make life changing decisions part is addressed in the latest Jane the Virgin episode as of recording this. <laughs> It's very important. I almost wonder if they got it from us. They they they, they clearly did it. It was written. Oh my before. god. Um, I think that Kit Harrington does a good job of acting out that revelation as John realizes, like, wait, I could, I could join the Night's Watch. That's the thing I could do. <laughs> and then, like, John pleading with Benjamin though to speak with Ned about letting him join the Night's Watch. I think it's well done in that it kind of parallels then Sansa pleading with Catelyn to please speak with Ned about approving the betrothal to Joffrey. Yes. 
Yeah, and you know, it's all about you know, John has this idea of the Night's Watch, and that's the idea we kind of have. And when we see his, you know, pretty stellar looking uncle ride in all in black, it's like, okay, the Night's Watch, they might be cool. Um, so I wonder if also the fact that uh, John's a little bit older, they made him, you know, this is a sober decision he makes, you know, unlike the drunken, smoky eyed. Not smoky eyed. That's the wrong term. But uh, he thought he's saying he's smoky eyed. He <laughs> cried. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, you're. You got that, baby boy. You can cry. But also, I, I, I Kit, Kit's hair in this scene just looks so goofy because it's like shorter <laughs> than it normally is, and then it's uh, pulled back behind his ears, and it's like very curly. It just he looks funny to me. Well, because he just got a haircut, and apparently, I guess the barber did a good job. Everyone does this, especially as a teenager. You go, you get your haircut. I'm like, this is not what I wanted. Yeah, it turns out the weaponsmith shouldn't be the barber. It's like when I was like between sixth and eighth grade, uh, when my parents paid for my haircut. Still, like they took me to like a hair academy where it was like a dollar twenty to get your haircut, and sometimes it just would not look great, which is fine. Sometimes it was bad luck. Bad luck. Yeah. You know, you play when you <laughs> play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Oh my god! <laughs> I think you make a really good point, Eliana, that this scene is kind of different in tone because John isn't a fourteen-year-old making a rash, drunk, hot-headed decision just because he's like sad and lonely. He's more, you know, kind of a fifteen, sixteen-ish year old, seventeen-ish, whatever he's supposed to be. I don't know how their ages. They're aged about five-year gap. We don't know. I don't know how old I am. I don't even know how old I am. Thank you. Exactly. So whatever age he is, like, he's making an actual choice. And I do love that the pilot kept him drunk. And it's kind of similar to the story, uh, if you want to be Benjamin with me, Eliana, would you like to be Benjamin? Oh, sure. I will. I'll be John. I love your, I, you know I love your John voice. Thank you. Uh, that was a very nice compliment the other day. Thank you. I appreciated it. <laughs> so I'll be John. This is script okay. from the pilot. I threw a spear nearly 70 yards. Sir Roderick measured it. The problem with throwing your spear 70 yards is you're 70 yards away from your spear. Benjamin gives John a playful shove. Don't get cocky. John, a little drunk, nearly falls off the bench. Are you drunk? No. Little John, drunk! Finally, he pushes back from the bench and stands, but loses his balance and lurches into the serving girl, sending a flagon of wine crashing to the floor. Laughter booms all around. John flushes and runs for the door. Ghost follows at his heels. So pretty much from the books, I like that little cute addition yeah. of Little John drunk. Aww. Little John! Little John, yeah! Uh, and the East Watch boys. <laughs> I've met at Dragon Con. You guys have seen that photo of the Little John, right? Yes. John yes I, that changed yeah. my life, honestly, that night. Uh, that night was very life-changing. Someday is that I'll the night the when? Is that the night when you got very drunk and decided to join the Night's Watch? Yes. Is that how it changed your Actually, uh, my friend Miguel, my buddy Miguel that I talk about all the time that cosplays Jon Snow, that night at Dragon Con, I ended up getting the entire bar of like a thousand people in this like huge upstairs bar to chant the King in the North for his birthday. Oh. Yeah, I did some good work. I do my best work drunk, honestly. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, this is going in the episode. Good, good. I love this quote back and forth with John and Tyrion when John's like Tyrion Lannister, the Queen's brother, and Tyrion's like my greatest accomplishment. <laughs> I just cackled at it. I was like, I feel you. Yeah, no, Peter Dinklage yeah. is really great in this scene. Um, I'm glad that he's not somersaulting or backflipping onto the yes. set like he was in the chapter. But it's just like it's really great, you know, because Tyrion's a little bit tipsy, 
and he's also an outsider in all of this. Um, and I do, and I mean, I do wish we got a little bit of Drunk John from the books, but I do like how this is all staged happening outside of yes. everything. It kind of like works from a symbolic or visual stance that John and Tyrion are the bastard outsiders here. Well, the interesting part about that, too, is that originally this is how it was filmed. So they obviously probably reshot it and cut the stuff there was and uh, had to cut John out of any of the scene that we had in that feast. So I think that's really cool. Like, just interesting to see how the production probably worked for this. Yeah. Next we have, within the feast, Cersei and Catelyn are acting formal with one another as Cersei and Catelyn feel awkward watching King Robert make out (laughs) with a serving girl. And then Cersei has Sansa come over and speaks with her and says that she thinks that Sansa will fit in at court. Yes. Yeah, I don't want to keep her beauty all locked away up here, um, is I think like the dig she little has at Cat in the North. Um, yeah, it's funny because like, Catelyn here is the one who's very reluctant to let Sansa go south. Fun fact, as we talk about costuming, Cersei right, asks Sansa, have you flowered yet, right? Have you bled? And then there's that like awkward look between Catelyn and Sansa that's exchanged. And part of the reason Sansa's supposed to be shocked is because she's wearing an outfit that in the North has all these like little knots tied in it. And Michelle Clapton had envisioned that as being a sign of like youthfulness and playfulness within Northern culture. And so Sansa's shocked that she's being asked this because she's like, well, I have all my knots and I'm still wearing this. Clearly that means that I have not bled. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We get, you know, that Ned and Benjen interaction. Yeah. In this scene. Um, and I like how uh, the first thing that Ned asks about, obviously, he's happy to see his brother, but it's like, oh, yeah, I beheaded a guy from the Night's Watch. It's kind of that Lord Eddard. The first thing he cares about is the business and the kid he had to execute because, you know, he does call him a boy. He's like, did you know him? You know, how was he? Um, it's kind of like the empathy of Ned Stark is the first thing that comes to mind uh, before, you know, he really has the formal talk with his brother about everything that's going on. It's not a formal talk, but... Then they start talking about Ned being named Hand and all that kind of stuff. But I like how Ned's kind of business first, or at least he's thinking of the children first and the boy he executed to start the episode. Very Ned-like. Very Ned-ly, yes. I should say. Ned-ly, that's a verb, we should use it. Uh, <laughs> something interesting about those Sansa parts, those Sansa parts of the scene are actually from the pilot. The Cersei and uh, Catelyn parts were reshot and added in after, but they kept the Sansa part. Straight from the pilot. Interesting. Yeah. The magic of editing. Editing. Yeah. Yes. We know this really yeah. well, but. I think you, you can guys. tell Sophie Turner looks just a bit younger than she does uh, elsewhere in the episode. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Possibly like a foot shorter as well. <laughs> it really builds up that character, right? With Sansa and Cersei. Sansa thinking, like, oh, Cersei's a good queen. We should trust her. Yeah. And you kind of feel for her because it is awkward, right? That she's watching her husband. Yep. Make out with someone. And you see that courtesy coming through in Catelyn as she's like, I gotta entertain this woman. Because, like, I've been there, sister. Been there. Done that. <laughs> Physical evidence. So she thinks. Yeah. So she thinks. Yep. But yeah. How about that Jamie and Ned scene? Oh, yeah, that was really interesting. It's an interesting added thing. Yeah. Yeah, so Ned gets confronted by Jamie. Some dialogue gets exchanged, a little tense. 
little like you know little you can feel the tension you feel it yeah you almost get the feeling that ned was kind of trying to avoid jamie and jamie kind of has to go and like send you know square up against ned um like ned's been avoiding him this whole time and at this and like this chat they have in the third episode like in front of the iron throne it all is kind of like a little through line towards the duel they have at the end of episode five the wolf and the lion I like to use a wrestling term here. They're like building heat. It's like when Stone Cold and The Rock are like on the microphone yelling at each other, building up their big WrestleMania match in a couple months. It's kind of the same thing that they kind of have these two handers where the two of them kind of talk about talk about and talk around some very tense subjects or whatever. Um, But it kind of builds that drama too when they actually show down physically later on in the season. But actually, like, it seems like this scene was a lot more contentious in the original scripting as you got here yeah uh, it's really weird because it's definitely heavier they kind of wanted to play on you know ned going south and jamie kind of threatening him with like you know southern court isn't kind to stark men and he straight up calls him out he's like oh yeah i saw your dad and your brother die i was there and they go back and forth and you know he, he jamie kind of gives this little dig and says it's some consolation that justice finally came to their killer Ares the second and Ned jabs back was it justice you were thinking of and you shoved your sword in the mad king's back and Jamie says it was his kidneys I was thinking of his liver and spleen and it's just dark and uh it, it really pumps that drama it's very drama like you said it's totally a wrestling match between these two that's what makes the lion and the wolf so big that is a very Jamie-esque thing to say, though. It was his kidneys I was thinking of, his liver and spleen. Mm-hmm. That really does capture his voice well. It's funny, because then they like have some of this discussion about Ned's brother and father in that episode three dialogue, but they kind of soften Jamie a little bit there, where he's like, I saw what they did. You know, it was kind of horrific. And yeah, I didn't do anything, but also 500 men stood and did nothing. So it it plays a little Mm -hmm. softer to Jamie. And uh, one thing I realized rewatching season one is there's a lot of scenes where Jamie's kind of a dick. But then as soon as the person walks away from him, like you kind of have the look of like sadness or bitterness behind Nikolai Koster Waldo's eyes. Um, He has that uh, discussion with Jory where he's kind of a dick to Jory about the letter. And then Jory walks away and then you have that kind of flash of sadness behind the eyes or whatever. And I think that's what uh, Nikolai Costa-Waldo does really good. Uh, He might have like some of the best face acting in the show, if not Mm. like the best line delivery at all times, but... Or the best butt acting. Mm. I will say that I... (laughs) In that... In that episode three exchange that you keep talking about, I keep thinking of Jamie talking about his Walkman. I don't know what the real lines are because I just watched actually, like the Medieval Land Funtime World videos so many times. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite little ending of that scene is Arya throwing the food at Sansa, which Maisie has said in interviews that she was worried about uh, hitting the food on the camera. She kept she was scared to do it. They were like, "Come on, just fling your food at Sansa." And uh, she was like, what if I hit the camera? And they're like, you won't. And of course she did. First try. She like straight up flung food at the camera. It's just a really cute scene. The way that Catelyn looks over at Rob and she doesn't even have to say anything. She just widens her eyes and jerks her head. He goes and takes Arya to bed. And it's very familial. Really fills out Mm -hmm. that idea of family here. Oh, I was going to say, we also just have our first appearance of the major cast character, Jane Poole, who's in this episode and becomes a major recurring character in the show. 
when she's brought back for the Winterfell plot. Why would you say that? I know. Whoever that actress was, though, it's interesting the way she looks in her hair. She does look like she could yeah, be, our, be a fake yeah. Arya. I think some stuff was majorly retconned. I think Aegon was going to maybe even be set up at one point. Like, they really wanted to. I do think they did. But I think they realized it's just too big of a monster to handle. Yeah, I, I think it's whatever else happens later on. They were smart enough to keep their options open early yeah. on where they didn't like really like cut off anything that could have been used in the future. Because I think you can see stuff. I think like the first three seasons, you can tell they had a plan for those. And then after that, they came up with the plan we saw from season four onward. But I feel like you can see in season three that they're trying to keep some of those book avenues open, even if later on they don't don't really go to them or whatever. On the castle and grounds, a rider comes in the night with a message from the Eyrie, where Catelyn's sister, Liza Aaron, Nate Tully, mourns her husband. The message is in a code that the girls created as children, and Catelyn reveals that the Lannisters killed Liza's husband, Lord John, according to the message. Lewin pressures Ned that he must go south to investigate John's death as Robert's hand. Yes. The way they play this in the show is very much where Catelyn and Lewin are like devil and angel over Ned's shoulders, where they represent two different viewpoints, where in the books, it's more where Cat and Lewin are both pushing Ned south, and it's Ned's own sense of reluctance and doubt or sadness, whatever he has, you know, there's a lot of things going on in Ned's mind. Um, That's kind of like the anchor back to Winterfell and not wanting to take the job. But here, and this is what they kind of do with Catelyn's character in the show, is they make her very more in the traditional mother role and very family-oriented, which, you know, that was a choice. And um, that's why she kind of plays that. What was internal to Ned's struggle in the books, like they kind of gave to Catelyn in this show. Yeah. Um, I love the way that you've described that it's shot like the devil and angel and then you know you see it ends on Maester Lewin which shows that this is the decision that Ned is probably going to go with I will say it is and it isn't a departure because I see it pointed out every now and then by people saying that like oh it's a complete change from the books because um, to be a little more nuanced in that it isn't necessarily because in this specific scene as you said, it is a departure, but ultimately in the end, and it makes sense that they didn't want to like film it that way and then have Kat change her mind and like have to address that. Uh, Catelyn does tell Ned, she becomes the voice of Ned, you can't go south after Bran is thrown off the tower. She's like, everything's different now. You can't go south. Like, it's too dangerous. Oh, no, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I can see that a lot. And I, in a way, it makes it a little more nuanced. Or nuanced, if you want to go there. (laughs) But bigger than this, I'm seeing that parallel. I know we're talking a lot about those season eight, episode one parallels. And I think there's a pretty strong parallel in that two sides argument between Sansa and Jon and the North in season eight. You know, you Mm. get this line from Maester Lewin, you swore the king an oath. And Catelyn saying, you owe him nothing. Uh, I think we're seeing that again come into play here in uh, season eight, for sure, in that first episode. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Thanks. Who's playing Lewin, though, for John? Just John? I don't know. I guess just John. I mean, that doesn't obviously fill it out. It's not a perfect, not a perfect flesh out. But I would say Sansa is playing that part of Catelyn to Ned right now. You know, that uh, don't go south. Don't go with the queen. Don't obviously it's different, but don't give her your support. You don't owe her anything. 
who cares? You swore the queen an oath. You owe her nothing. Yeah, and then you see at the end of the episode, Sam taking that same side. So he's the maester, and now it's like everyone telling John, like, mm, John. Yeah. What you gonna do? Yeah, the Sam parallel is actually really good there, I think, then for Lewin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Sam and Sansa being his uh, devil and angel. You have Sam pressing John's claim where Sansa is saying, you know, just stay home, Ned. I mean, John. Who said that? Yeah, they're both similar. They're similar sides of the same coin, but still different, different roads that lead to the same castle. Aww. <laughs> so. I kind of wanted that line to be repeated in season 8 because I'm an enormous sat. You're an enormous nerd is what you are. I would never. <laughs> Me and Emmett are rewatching The Office because I've never watched it all the way through. Have you seen The Office, Eliana? No, it's too painful. I like feel so uncomfortable for everyone. Yeah, it's literally my life, so I, I like I, watching I, it. I can't. I can't. It's just too much for There's me. There's this line where uh, Mindy, Mindy Kaling, or Kaling, I can't pronounce her last name. Kaling. Yeah, thank you. That's I had it right the first it. time. Good. That's how everyone says it. Mindy Kaling. So I had it right. Good for me. Uh, I just I think. I don't was know. offended by the kale part because I've been eating so much kale lately. But mm-hmm. So she has this line where she was dating a dude in the office and he's like now moved up in corporate and he's talking. He's like, does anyone have any questions? And she just raises her hands. She's like, uh, yes. First of all, how dare you after they broke up? And that's just now I think of that for everything. Like even here. How dare you, Ned? How dare you go south? Indeed. He dared too much. It's when you play the game of threat with him. (laughs) Tried to grasp the Speaking of daring, how about daring to have a wedding without at least three deaths? Hell yeah, Pentos. Yeah, there's only one. Dull AF. (laughs) Dull AF, send nudes. (laughs) The worst, worst goddamn wedding I've ever been to. But, I mean, I guess there were some cool gifts, right? Like, um, Danny receives some sick books from this Westerosi man named Jorah Mormont. Boo! She gets some snacks. She gets snacks, and then she also gets three fossilized dragon eggs from Illyrio. And then Jorah, like, I don't know, swears fealty to Viserys' cause. Boo. And then Drogo's like, I got you with this horse. We're gonna ride it, and we're gonna consummate our marriage against your will. Can you say Jorah one more time? Jorah. Boo. Okay, I feel good now. We can go on. Truly, truly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a horse is a pretty solid gift. I mean, so are three dragon eggs that become dragons, but like, really, a horse is a really solid gift. I mean, I don't I think Eliana would like I it. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, like, you know, I gotta learn how to feed it, I gotta take care of it and bury it when it dies, but. Oh my god. What if one of your snakes <laughs> bites the horse and, like, one of your gifts kills the other gift? Oh god. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. What if they're not venomous snakes, you know? What if they're just like slinky, coily, they're, they're constrictors, and then it just like wraps itself around like the horse, like Aww. a cool bracelet. It protects the horse's legs and tries to eat anything that tries to eat the horse. Well, you're optimistic, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> you're a little cutie pie, what- aren't you, Manu? You're just so sweet. <laughs> If that's how real life is, oh, cute. Because the show invented that the Dothraki have no word for thank you in this episode. That you know, how do I say thank you, Sir Jorah? The Dothraki do not have a word for thank you. But then later on in the show, we find out that the Dothraki have a word for pussy hair. So I'm really doubting where oh my God. the Dothraki draw the lines in terms of what deserves a word and what doesn't. Oh my God, who is writing this language? Oh yeah, David Peterson. <laughs> 
Uh, Callback. Yeah, that's a that that that's a very heartbreaking statement you just made. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Yep. Pussy hair. Maybe you're supposed to say pussy hair instead of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Every time someone like does something nice for me from now on, I'm just gonna be like, oh, pussy hair. I'm gonna go learn that phrase in Dothraki. Pussy hair. Yep. It's our new yeah. podcast name. Pussy hair. I mean, actually, it's not a bad podcast name for us. It really draws you in, you know. It really does. You know, keeps. Never mind. <laughs> I was gonna go somewhere, then I was like, I don't want to go there. Pussy hair and please hall? carry on. No. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No. Nope. Oh yeah, I don't. <laughs> you, you, you can see. You, you can see the different. You can see the dynamic on the podcast by our different reactions. Uh, Just nope. One thing I did notice, and it's really nothing, but, like, Viserys has, like, the three-headed dragon pin on his sash. Like, the one that Daenerys wears later on that has, like, the two heads to the side and then one sticking out. Like, Viserys is wearing that, and I did not catch that uh, until this time. She does have a dragon pin uh, in the, this episode. It's on her wedding dress. It's in the center. It's hard to see because it's silver and the dress kind of matches. But it's on the top of the pin. She has the little dragon head. And I know this because I have a really good buddy that cosplays Daenerys. And she broke her pin while wearing that costume no. drunk at Dragon Con. And she kind of started crying. And I had to like baby her and be like, it's okay. We can hot glue it together. Let me see. What's the material? We'll figure it out. Don't be upset. You still look beautiful, Khaleesi. You're doing great. And then I sent her on her way. And I don't know if she ever fixed the pin, but that was my story. <laughs> you fixed her heart. Yeah. And that's what matters. I think so. I mommed her pretty good. Speaking of Viserys, I do really like the laugh that Harry Lloyd does when reacting to Illyrio's explanation of Dothraki weddings. It's just so perfectly natural, and it's just like, it's fun. Harry Lloyd's here. Yes. We are finally on the home stretch. We come back to Winterfell. I was going to say to Gryffindor. I don't know. Maybe it's the champagne, but. It's, it's a little similar. Very similar, yeah, to the Gryffindor common room in Winterfell. Uh, Sandor and Tyrion have a little small exchange, and god damn, I'm really glad they changed Rory's wig, because it looks real bad there. Yeah. Like, they tried, it, it, yeah, it's just yeah. real ugly. They're doing too much. Um, I think- Like, like Aliana said, he's the Prince Zuko, and like, obviously he's burned and ugly, but part of him's still handsome. He's like that half and half, that two-faced, that, you know, the, uh, the beast from Beauty and the Beast. You know, he's handsome yeah. underneath it all. Yeah, but he's supposed to be like, ooh, scary bad boy. Kind of yeah. kind of ugly on one side, but scary bad boy. Also 28. <laughs> love you, Rory, though. I do love Rory. You couldn't have had this without Rory, but... Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was thinking that recently. I was like, I think that they veered away from uh, a lot of the Sansan stuff just because the... Yeah, the age. They did. Age difference looks, looks so... It's just so at the forefront when you look at Rory and Sansa, but... Yeah. Yeah. But it, the, the wig is exceptionally bad because not only is like the wig like wrong because it's like darker and curlier than it should be, but like they don't have the makeup really figured out around his yeah. burn scars yet either. So it's just like an empty patch of skin that looks like, you know, one of it those. It looks so weird. Um, and I think like Tyrion's hair is just a little more. It's a little short. It's better. Yeah. It's a little shorter than we saw in that scene with uh, John. Um, mm, or yeah. maybe it wasn't, but. Maybe he. Maybe he also got a haircut while he was here in Winterfell. It's been like a month since they left. You King's can really Landing. see what was from the pilot and what wasn't if you pay attention. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of that, in the morning after they, they like show right after they do the Tyrion and Sandor thing, it scoots right on over to Ned and Robert, who are going to go hunting. And 
Eddard's hair is slicked back, Manu. Yeah, so that's clearly from the initial. I think you can tell by Theon's hair is also like super blonde in this shot as well. Yep. Um, this is all definitely from the initial pilot or whatever. Um, but you know, it's early morning. I assume Ned just got out of the shower or wherever. You know, the hot Honey, springs. Honey, that but- doesn't look like he got out of the shower. <laughs> that looks like weeks of not getting out of the shower to me. It's greasy. It looks like he's been playing video games in his bedroom for three weeks straight and peeing in water bottles. <laughs> That's what it looks like to me. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, Ned has depression, though, so we should be nice to him. Ned be cut to Bran. <laughs> this is the last time Ned sees Bran as we all laugh. Oh, God. Thanks, Manu. Thanks, you fucking Satanist. What the oh, fuck? God. Why would you even say that? Uh, What's wrong with you? Because I like my sad boy hours, and th- these are about to get real <laughs> sad boy hours. Yeah. I mean, we like our sad are sad people. Things. I love sad boys. We like getting sad. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we cut to Bran, and he is disobeying his mother and climbing the broken tower. And then as he nears the top, he starts hearing some noises, and then he comes across Jamie in a person. Turns out it's Cersei in the tower Whoa. with each other. You know, they're they're wrestling. They're wrestling, and then Cersei spots him. And then she and Jamie deliberate, like, what are we going to do with him? And she tells Jamie, he saw us. And she repeats that he saw them. And then Jamie decides to shove Bran out the window with that classic line. The things I do for love. Your sister. Wait. <laughs> Your sister. Wait. Oh, wait. It is, it is though. His sister. It actually works here. Same, same energy. Big energy. I love yeah. later on, they turn this into uh, Bran's bedroom. This exact tower, this set is turned into Bran's bedroom. Oh. oh, I thought you meant they really did. I'm like, I don't remember that. That's fucked up. No, it's just the same tower. They're like, fuck the kid. Have him like live in the tower that he was thrown yeah. from. Remember what happened. No one even likes this bitch. Look at where he is now in season eight. Oh this gosh. is why you don't go climbing. This isn't my son. Um, but also, like, kudos to Jamie, because as far as I can tell, his pants are up and his shirt, like, he's having sex through his clothes as far as I he can He was think. in and outing of that shit, you know? He was like, we yeah, don't have much time. It's like, that's not even comfortable. It's like, you want to be free. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so is Cersei, you know, like, they were trying to really <laughs> have that quickie. <laughs> Uh, this was Isaac's favorite scene as a kid when he was like, "Oh my gosh!" Done filming season one or two in an interview, he said this was his favorite because he got to jump on this giant, you know, thing. He got to jump off and like he hit like a trampoline and then hit like a or something or not a trampoline. Yeah, what what is it? It's like a foamy thingy, like a mat. D- I don't know. Yeah, Matt. You're so good. <laughs> <laughs> You're so good. <laughs> Listen, it's a holiday menu. I'm fried. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's like one of the few scenes like he really gets to be on his feet for, like going forward or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sucks. Um, and they yeah. do try to give him some more stuff on his feet and his visions, but I could see when he, so many of his scenes in season one are in bed or just like at the like main table in the great hall. It just this would stick out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at the bottom, I don't know. You have the dog. I just like watching the dog, but it also makes me more anxious as I watch the dog. Be like, oh no. What if Brent fell on the dog? That would be terrible. How is he going to bury him, Manu? <laughs> they did a really good job of showing time, you know, like past because we see Summer here so small. And then, you know, when Brand yes. finally wakes up, Summer is big. Summer is, uh, when Summer attacks the assassin, big doggo. 
Yes. Good thing, though. Yeah, thank God. Much bigger there. Saved their asses. Truly. <sighs> Too bad we didn't see Nikolai's butt in this. Yeah, if only, you know, he had taken the time to really, really get into it, do some foreplay. What I'm saying is wired Nikolai's butt, because tired Jon Snow's butt. Everyone's like, Jon Snow's <laughs> beautiful, perfect little Felix butt. And I'm out here like, oh Nikolai's daddy butt. Yeah. Gosh. Like, that's a man that's birthed some kings, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, he did. Cersei put it. did it. Listen, I don't know things. <laughs> he pooped the babies out. So, isn't that how it works? That is that. That's how babies form. Oh my god. <laughs> that's that's it though. That's a wrap on the very first episode. Oh my god. <laughs> Are we ending uh, ending on shitting out babies? Is that- <laughs> Yup. Sure am. Sure fucking am, homie. Pussy hair. Pussy hair. That's like the worst. When you pointed that out, I was yeah. I was screaming, Manu. I was screaming. Well, you know. Well, pussy hair is so much for joining us, Manu. <laughs> 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 oh my god, that's almost as good as a Dawida. Oh, it is. Oh, that's right. We were supposed to say a Dawida. I forgot that. Uh, a Dawida. God, a Dawida pussy here. We've got some good new memes here. <laughs> yep. Some good girls gone canon memes. Girls gone memeing. Girls gone fishing. <laughs> gone fishing. Oh my god. Well, Manu, we're really happy that you came on. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us. Can you give us a shout of where we can find all of your stuff on the internet? Yeah, uh, you can find me at Manuclear Bomb on Twitter and pretty much anywhere where I would have a social media, it would be that. Um, I also do the podcast, The Scene of Ice and Fire, which is at Scene Ice Fire on Twitter. Right now, we're taking a pause through our normal. We watch, we're skipping, we're on season two in our normal podcast, but right now we're just focused on season eight, basically uh, recapping each episode and our thoughts. Uh, that usually goes up Tuesday or Wednesday of each week. And then I'm tweeting a lot about it. And I would like to thank you, ladies, again for inviting me along. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, happy holidays. It was it was a good time. Yes. Oh, you were the perfect person to bring on to uh, talk about that first episode and bring it all back. So I'm glad you were here. Yes. Same. It, it's, it was really fun to have you. This is the second time we recorded together. So Aww. I'm glad to have you. I that. was the virgin. Sacrifice me. Yeah. <laughs> You're the first. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining us. And... Hanging out with Manu, uh, pussy hair again, and we'll see you all next time. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs>